This episode of How To Wrestling was brought to you by our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling who helped make this show 100% fan and listener supported and hey if you like the show and you want to support myself and Joe and help it get made you can head over to said Patreon page and for as little as $5 a month get access to a whole shed load of content. I'm talking pay-per-view reviews going all the way back to 2015. We cover AEW and WWE shows as well as that we have our How To Revisited series where we go back and revisit old episodes and see how the story has changed and as well as that our latest series and the one we have so much fun with every single time it's pay-per-view classic our most recent episode being wrestlemania 21 but as well as that we've had all sorts of ups and downs we've reviewed halloween havoc 1995 survivor series 08 featuring a guest appearance from the attitude podcast billy keeble as well as that there's wrestlemania 17 vengeance 2002 and a whole load of others join us won't you over at patreon.com forward slash how wrestling but for now settle in enjoy this it was a bit of a different episode and it certainly was a bit of a tough one to record but we're both super proud of this and we hope you enjoy it's time for how to john huber friends and welcome to another episode of how to wrestling the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling how to get into wrestling how to understand wrestling and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling and you know what that means today's episode is a very special one indeed it's probably going to be a little bit different as circumstances surrounding this episode i think are, are obviously a bit different today we are looking at the fascinating and amazing career of the late great john huber who you may have known as Brody Lee or Luke Harper when he was in WWE. I'm an emotional cowboy today, Kevin Mahan, joined as I am by my better half in this look through some amazing matches and moments and thoughts and memories about this fabulous wrestler. It's Joe Graham. Hello. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm fine, thank you. Yes. How are you, more importantly? Me, more importantly. I don't know. I mean, I've. Have you cried yet today? No. And I've literally. You know, we did it. You know, we've done our research. We've done a lot of watching for this. Many tears have been shed already uh, on, on my half. Have you drunk enough water? Are you probably hydrated? I am. I, I'm. 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 It's a. It's a weird place to be because I'm like. I'm really, really excited because I'm talking to you about like you know probably one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Yeah. I'm obviously kind of nervous and because I feel I want. We want to do justice to this this man. And yeah, I mean, it's, I'm a little emotional as well, I guess. Um, probably you know, earlier when we were watching, just before we recorded, we had a few extra just clips on when we were, you know, getting set up. And I did have to shield my eyes. Yeah. When we were watching, I think it was the the Tom Waits tribute package. Oh goodness! <laughs> they made that so sad. Lady Luck. Oh my God! It was literally like designed by scientists in a lab for like ultimate make you cry. Yeah, I know. It it, uh, it 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 zeroed in on a lot of big feelings. And if you're joining us at the moment, and it's kind of a bit, it's a bit strange, and you're not sure what's going on. Today we're talking about a wrestler who it's the first instance this has ever happened in this show, where it's someone who we were watching together on the main roster who had tragically passed. I mean, we're in April now of 2021. And unfortunately, John Huber passed away very tragically in December, late December of 2020. We've obviously 
talked about tragedy in this podcast. There's no shortage of times, Joe, obviously. But what kind of makes this one different? It it is a strange one, I guess. Well, it's definitely the first time since I've been watching wrestling that it's a wrestler I have known and loved that has died. Mm. Because, like, obviously we've done a lot of episodes about, you know, wrestlers who have sadly died. But it was always, like... They were from a time before I started watching, so I didn't get to kind of like watch their career evolve and I didn't get to like, you know, it's like we were saying way, way back when we first started this podcast, there's a special source about watching a wrestler get signed up to the big promotions Mm. and like watching their journey as a wrestler grow. Mm. And I'm not saying like I followed Brody Lee's career since like his days in, you know, early promotions and stuff Mm. on the indies, but you know, I've... I've followed him for, what, seven years now? And yeah. so I've seen him do hu- a huge number of different characters. I've seen mm. him work with different people. I've seen him work in different companies. And so it was very strange for me, personally, selfishly, to have lost a wrestler who has just been like a mainstay in the entire time since I've since I've been a wrestling fan. We, we, we obviously don't talk about kind of journeys that wrestlers have been on. And, you know, you started watching wrestling you know, I think I was able to hold back, be like, Dude, will you watch wrestling? For like a month or two when we first oh, met. I had to be like, no, watch wrestling, because you wouldn't show me anything. And I do remember, this is one of the wrestlers who I think I very, very first showed you yes. uh, from the modern roster. And I know he was someone who definitely made an impact on you. Yeah, and, because, and yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I have to point out why you showed me <laughs> the match that you did. Yeah. Because I had seen, and people who've listened to this podcast long will know my origin story for becoming a wrestling fan, which is I saw a gif on Tumblr of two wrestlers like kissing. Yeah. And I thought it was really funny. <laughs> and I got into my head that wrestlers are all hunks and hence hunks were born. Anyway... The very first WWE match you showed me was between The Shield and the Wyatt family mm. because, as you said, they're all hunks. <laughs> Different <laughs> and you're shapes right. and flavours. Different shapes and flavours of hunk. But, like, you're totally right. And I remember even right back then, you know, he was on the screen with Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins. And even still, I was like, oh, that Luke Harper. Oh, he's he's a looker. He is. I like him. I think, like, even if you're someone who kind of was only a passing fan, he was someone who you definitely would saw and he would have made an impact on you. You know, uh, a unique presence for sure. And I think, you know, in terms of that journey, we're going to be talking to someone today where, like, ultimately there is this kind of thing in the back of my mind where it's like, ah, you know, as a wrestling fan, the journey's not complete because we felt like I saw him for so many years and like reaching this potential moment and kind of then it kind of not going the way you would think. But then he finds this whole new thing instead. It's like, okay, this might be it. And, you know, there is kind of always in wrestling that kind of, that factor of someone is taken before their times that you as as a fan, you know, you are kind of left with this, sense of like an unfinished kind of career an unfinished story that's not been told and that's kind of what's strange about this episode i guess is that we are talking about a story which didn't really get to be told to its full conclusion the way you feel it w- would i think there's obviously tragic elements mm. to that and i mean please don't misconstrue my words as a wrestling fan and podcaster the experience that I have is completely different to those whose lives he actually touched, you know, and there's a lot of instances of that that we'll be talking, you know. This is a, someone who was very charitable and, in all senses of the word, a beautiful man. So, yeah, I think I, I, I accept that this is obviously a tragic moment in wrestling and I was still kind of 
in a few minds about if it's too soon to do this episode or not. Yeah. But I feel just from doing this research alone, even though many tears have been shed in the process, that I feel like it's a fucking fabulous career Mm. and a fabulous performer. And there's been so many stories that have come out and so many things that people have noticed, little things in his matches and all that, that that is for me like the real kind of, the real story of John Huber, which hopefully we'll get into today. What were some of your kind of earliest memories of him? Like, you know, we saw him originally in that match in, in that hunk fest. Yeah. I remember my first thoughts about seeing him in the hunk fest was, first of all, that he had an amazing bum. <laughs> really one of the best. The White family was a, was a thick family. Thick family yeah. full of great bottoms. And yeah, I, I liked his bum. I liked his outfits. I liked his eyes. I liked his look. He's got a very unique, I say unique, although then you showed me like a whole bunch of wrestlers who like kind of looked like him. So it's interesting. So it's unique to me anyway. Yeah. I mean, see the unique look, I mean, because you know, a typical wrestler, he's a tall man, an imposing yeah. figure. He's really, he's big and tall. He's what, six foot five, six foot six, or maybe even taller than he's, that. He's north of that, if yeah, anything. But big, I think big lad. he carried himself. Yeah. Like, a ve- like he definitely was a big man in wrestling. And he has this big big hair and this big bushy beard he kind of looked a bit like a pirate a little bit but like really <laughs> handsome pirate and but the, like the main thing was just he has these like he had these eyes just like really intense wild eyes oh very good because i mean the eyes have been described by many wrestling commentators and yeah. it's kind of a motif and a theme well it was part of his titantron even yeah, like, yeah. I know throughout his career he'd have eyes as part of his on-screen titantron graphic yeah and yeah he has he has lovely eyes <laughs> really kind eyes that he would make look very very intimidating and scary just by making them really wide now here's a, it might be an odd question but like seeing him in those early days because he certainly was like coming kind of one of those wild man characters and all that and in early days as a wrestling fan do that to you equate to mean he looks like a wild man ergo he probably is a, you know a short-tempered brute you know he probably is this kind of stereotypical mind's eye wrestler that you might have who looks like that well you know i i live by the infinite wisdom of proverbs and so i always make sure i judge every book by its cover <laughs> no of course i didn't I, I i i tried not to think too much about what he was like in real life as, as i try to do with wrestling generally until i know a little bit about them yeah and to be honest i didn't really hear anything about him for I don't know, three or four years of me watching wrestling. Mm. Like, he was just there. He was very good. He was always kind of like one of the most talented people in the ring. But I didn't know anything about his personal life. That's it. I, I actually remember you know, for, for doing this research, I was checking out some kind of there's various wrestling biography channels and things like that on YouTube and seeing one from like kind of a few years ago. And they're like, we don't really know anything about the guy, mm. you know, because it's like he was quite private. Yeah. And then I kind of think back to it, and I love, can I just say, I love the artwork that you've done for this, that the composition on it, like, it, it honestly tugs at my heartstrings. Harvest Moon Harper. Yeah, and like, I, I do remember that kind of period around, what, 2017 or thereabouts, where it's like, there is kind of a man behind this character. And unlike a lot of cases in wrestling where it's like, oh, okay, this guy's, you know, just a nice guy or whatever it is. It really felt like, even at that time, it had a real kind of like an own heart almost, like, oh, this guy's like such a fucking family man yeah. like this wrestling gig that ain't really who he is mm. it's this whole other person 
And that kind of, I guess, makes the characters that he portrayed even more fascinating. Yeah, definitely. I think there's always going to be this extra charm to any kind of, like, big, scary, wild character who then reveals himself to be, like... Yeah, that just, I mean, <laughs> that little promo he did behind the scenes, which which birthed Harvest Moon Harper as our <laughs> canon for him. It was just like the cutest, nicest, most wholesome thing ever. He's just like, I'm going to go I'll live on a farm and I'm going to grow, like, raise chickens. I'm going to introduce you to my son and my, my, my dogs <laughs> and my cats. Like, yes, this uh, is what I want. I mean, I've got a lovely story that might encapsulate a little bit of that kind of duality. You know, if, if you look up a picture of your know, Luke Harper as you remember him in WWE, like that kind of wild man look that he had or when he was Brody Lee on the indies. You talk the wild hair, the, the the wild eyes. He's got what appears to be a ball patch that's actually just scar tissue that has created an early ball patch that makes him look way older than he ever you know, than he was. So why has he got sorry? Why has he got scar tissue on his head? Uh, I think I'm a kid with a chair or something like that, and they cut him open, and he got like a bad scar, and it's like, oh damn, the hair doesn't grow there as well anymore, and he just kind of leaned into it. Wow. But like in all senses, he looked like kind of a fire breathing dragon, like you know, he looked like a proper scary wild wrestler. Jerry Lawler, uh, whose name rarely gets mentioned in this podcast with a, a, an impression after him, mm. but it was one of the stories that actually resonated with me, was that apparently every time when he was Luke Harper in WWE, he'd wreck the announce table, which often he had to do for, for Bray Wyatt, his leader, he had to prep the announce table. Every time he did it, he'd be like, and he'd throw off the lid, and he'd throw all the papers But Jerry, he'd very carefully take his phone and his monitor and his notes and just place them down carefully and he'd give him a little wink every time because he didn't want to fuck with his stuff and then he'd get back to wrecking the announce table. And like, there's a duality right there of someone... Shame it's Jerry. Because I really (laughs) want him to wreck Jerry's shit. He should have rolled up the notes and hit him over the head. (laughs) 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 So, John Huber, Jonathan Huber, he was a Rochester, New York native and looking up about his early days he was a big fan big fan of wrestling growing up with his brother and his favorite wrestlers growing up were some names you might be familiar with jake the snake roberts oh yes which for a guy maybe wasn't known for his verbiage but certainly i mean we said the word eyes like ninety-seven thousand times in the jake roberts and he's got that same kind of like um casual sexiness Speaking of casual sexiness, his other favourite growing up was Ravishing Rick Rude. Oh my god! <laughs> and he uh, adopted his moniker according to a lot of people who trained with him of, it's an upper body business. So <laughs> he, he would, like, Cesaro has told stories that he'd just show up at random CrossFit gyms and be like, what's the biggest weight you have? And just be like, Bruh! And then just leave after one just to show he can do it. <laughs> and his other favourite wrestler growing up, I never thought I'd ever hear someone say this on an episode, it shows the age I guess I'm at now, the Big Show was his other favourite wrestler. The Big Show. The Big Show. Paul Weiss. Wow. Who'd have thought? He like, likes his moustaches then, doesn't he? His facial hair. His big facial hair, boys. That's exactly it. <laughs> he got his start, as many did back in those days, <laughs> as Joe Graham here also got her start in the wrestling business, as a backyard boy. <laughs> and now, uh, just to remind everyone your, your role in the world of backyard wrestling... Oh, very briefly, for like one weekend, I stayed with some friends and they were big wrestling fans. So I joined their, what do you call it? Their backyard wrestling thing. Oh man, I'm so glad that my backyard wrestling federation never went off my comics that I was drawn. Like, <laughs> we had 12 pay-per-views laid out, gimmicks, characters, 
And then the one boy who said that he had a big enough backyard, we didn't really like him. So unfortunately, the plans were scuppered, you know. But uh, John Huber, he was his original gimmick with his brother. His gimmick name was Huber Boy Number Two, as him and his brother were the Huber Boys. Aww, Huber Boys. And like, like kind of a lot of wrestlers, you know, we talked about John Moxie, Dean Ambrose. He got his, his start in a similar way through doing backyard stuff. But he said he wanted to be more serious, and he changed his name to Brody Lee. His original gimmick was the Right Stuff, Brody Lee. And it might be what you think, I have big imposing Brody Lee. He was called the Right Stuff after. The new kids on the block song, the right stuff. It would come out wearing kind of b-boy wear, like colorful hats and chains and all that. Oh. Again, I was very like, who is this man? I thought <laughs> I, I knew him remotely. Now, Brody Lee, I've told you a bunch of times where the name came from, uh, wrongly as well. Might I add? Do you remember the the wrong genesis of his name? I remember you saying that he named either named himself or he was named after Bruiser Brody, who you showed me a picture of, and he is this big, like big, hairy, wild-looking man who looks kind of similar, I guess, to to Brody Lee. Yeah, and do you know where the Lee came from? Jason Lee from <laughs> Kevin Smith movies. Yeah, and my name is Earl. That was the other. Oh, Jason Scientology Lee. man. Scientology man. I mean, facially. Oh he, no, he looks exactly like it. It's crazy. Yeah. I, yeah. The, the kind of the, the, the cracks in this theory started to form where I'm like, check this out. And I showed you a picture of Bruiser Brody and you were like, yeah. Kind of. Kind of. Well, it turns out, Wrestle fans, that he wasn't a 50% Kevin Smith fan, 50% badass wrestler fan, because he's called Brody Lee after Jason Lee twice. The Lee because of Jason Lee, Brody because of Brody Bruce. I love it. He just loves <laughs> handsome men. That's to say. <laughs> and he also likes mall rats, a controversial choice, I'll admit. So, yeah. Um, so, he kind of started gaining a bit of momentum. He wrestled around in some of the kind of local areas in New York. He got his kind of first big break on the indies wrestling for a company called Chikara. Now, it kind of, at the point of the episode, where after kind of maybe we had a bit of a chat about this recently vis-a-vis Chikara, which is a promotion, which if you listen to me in other podcasts from many, many years ago, I'm like, whoa, Chikara. And now my endorsement of Chikara comes with a, a bit of an asterisk because, well, I think during last year's Speaking Out movement, Chikara, the promotion and its management, brackets owner, came under some kind of scrutiny. Mm-hmm. And I think we had decided we want to take a little bit of a step back from the kind of adulation of a lot of these small indie groups. Yeah, But I think... In this instance, and maybe some cases going forward, I mean, you kind of put it in... in <laughs> help! <laughs> you, you were able to explain it in, in, in terms about kind of the performer's roles and whatnot, it may be. I just think, if you're going to go out of your way to not talk about promotions like Chikara... Like, obviously, we didn't want to talk about Chikara straight away after the Speaking Out movement, because no. I think that would have been the wrong time in the wrong place, and it just, like, wouldn't have been appropriate. But when it comes to covering the career of such an important wrestler, I feel it's disrespectful to their career to then just be like, no, we can't cover, you know, this spectacular match with this promotion because, you know, there was some wrong involved. And I just feel like if you're going down that road, you could actually do that with every single wrestling promotion ever that's ever existed. Yeah. And I just don't want to undo the hard work and talents of everyone else who contributed to that company and yeah. the amazing matches that were put on. I don't think it's fair to 
undo all the good that was done. Yeah, I think I'm probably a bit guilty of like trying to throw the baby out with the bathwater a little bit where kind of, you you know, because particularly with promotions like Chikara and, you know, it's not just Chikara, there's a lot of small indie promotions like that where they're kind of very heavily centred around the owner and there's kind yeah. of a bit of a cult of personality there. You know, promotions like that only exist and work or become what they are because of the hard work of really like, you know, individuals busting their ass yeah. and working for a little money and all that. And, yeah, probably enough people have already been disrespected by the goings-on at Chikara without classic matches from, you know, hard workers to be thrown out as well. So, yeah, on that on that note, I don't want to talk any much more about it, but I won't be kind of staying entirely away from promotions. But, you know, at a, at a promotion appearing on the show is not necessarily an endorsement of the promotion. I mean, is that not obvious from the fact that we cover WWE? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Dirty fed money. <laughs> yeah, we're still not going to review the Saudi show. Is that that's not going to happen anytime soon? So Chikara, which presents itself as like a family-friendly promotion, which is based out of Philadelphia, the Pennsylvania area. How he got his debut there is like just one of those classic great wrestling stories. He wasn't even meant to be there. He just showed up with a friend and a wrestler called Reckless Youth. No showed the event, and the last second he was like, well. You know, I can wrestle if you So he's like. like the Harrison Ford of wrestling then. He's just like, <laughs> happened to be there. They were like, look at him. Right, he's can, got the look. You just say that right now. I, I, canonically, I just assume that John Huber was a carpenter yeah. now. And that, that's just the way Makes it sense. is. Makes <laughs> sense. So Chikara was where he got his kind of his big start. And the character which I described to you of Big Rig Brody Lee. I love it. Your so eyes much. got as big as moons when I said that. I love truckers as a concept, mm. as a wrestling gimmick. I think it's even better. I love big rigs. I think they are <laughs> very, very entertaining. I try and stop her when a big rig goes uh, by. She's can't. always there demanding uh, they pull the uh, horn. <laughs> no, I genuinely love big rigs. I think they're really cool. Have you ever climbed in a big rig? Oh, you need like a little step ladder. They're so big. Anyway, a big lad in a big rig with his like dirty white vest on. And we've, not, his... we've not talked about the actual ring attire yet. Yeah, yeah let's, let's, let's talk about that. So he wears like these old jeans and a dirty old vest top that's supposed to be white, but it has like stains on it. It looks really smelly. And it's just such a good look for a wrestler. Got like the, also... the bandana kind of on the wrist, oh, you know, yeah, the one yeah. in the back pocket, like little touches <laughs> like that. I fucking love. And I just, yeah, I just think it's perfect for being a big rig driver as well. Because, yeah, it's kind of dirty, but comfortable and a little bit sexy in a dirty way. And it's yeah. Just, I love when there's like a little bit of just a tiny sprinkle of kayfabe like that, where it's like, why is this guy traveling around the country making all these wrestling dates? Because he drives a big rig. And he's in a bad mood and he wants to show up to this company he and bully and people. <laughs> it's the way of the road. The way like, of the you road. Know? So like his whole thing when he came into Chikara was that he was just a bully. Because Chikara featured a lot of like smaller stature wrestlers. And, you know, it was kind of a breeding ground for a lot of people who you would be seeing on, you know, NXT and 205 and AEW these days. And the idea of this big, mean fucker coming in and just booting their heads off. <laughs> like, the first time I ever saw him wrestle was uh, I got an Adam a Chikara DVD. And on it, he wrestled a guy called Grizzly Redwood, whose gimmick is he's the littlest lumberjack. Aww. And he's four foot five if he's if he's a day. And I saw Brody Lee brutalize this little guy. He fucking threw him pillar to post. Did he give him the big boot? He gave him the big kneeling I big boot. I love his big boot so much. Best, best boot in the business. Absolutely. He The way he does it, which is kind of like he sticks his leg up really 
far out and really high and then he kind of like just topples he forward. forward but he yeah. doesn't really kneel because kneeling implies kind of getting slowly down on your knees and comfortably kneeling <laughs> but it's not that at all he looks it looks really painful like he's almost falling over onto his knee it's like he's trying to shove his boot down your face yeah essentially and then you into know? the floor oh man it's so fucking like and that's why i love it's like there's so few big guys in shikara that this this monster is showing up he's bullying people for months and the first match we're going to get into is the culmination then of you have Claudio Castagnoli, who WWE fans may know as Cesaro, who, you know, you and I fucking adore Cesaro. Yeah, I don't know if fans would recognise him here because he's a little less handsome <laughs> Tiny back, back in the day. Like, you know. No, put the wine back. It's not aged yet. It's not yet. ready yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's not ready yet. <laughs> and yeah, the idea was that Cesaro... Claudio, he didn't like that there was this big lad bullying people and the only oh, other guy... Oh, so there's a big hero to come he's and like, save he's them. He's going to save the day. Oh. He's going to stand up. And every time they'd have a match, because it was the two big muscle men in Shikara, the referees would get knocked out because the little referees couldn't contain these two oh. big men. And the idea is that we come here now to Chikara 2008 for a cage match. <laughs> Which I didn't realise, but you pointed out that this was like... This, this is like the only cage match ever done on this company. <laughs> it's family friendly. And they, they don't, you know, this is a, a company where if you swear in a promo, you get in big trouble. Yeah. And that's why Eddie Kingston as the champion of Jakara for many years was always a baffling decision, but they went with it anyway. <laughs> and just in case, by the way, folks, you ever have any kind of umbrage, you know what we talked earlier about supporting a company or putting coins in the coffers of someone you don't necessarily respect, just so you should, you should be aware, YouTube, it's to this day, remains a treasure trove of free matches and uh, this one being one of them officially free available so yeah we're not telling you to go out and torrent or anything like that but you can find all sorts and watch wrestling relatively guilt-free you don't have to support anyone if you don't want to because <laughs> they're all desperate for views so they'll just give you content it's amazing so here we are big rig Brody lee taking on claudio castagnoli in a cage match and we just start this match just with a glimpse of Claudio coming out to Sledgehammer by so Peter Gabriel. Good. Oh, I love that song. That's so appropriate for him as well. He right. is a Sledgehammer. Yeah, I th- he has the the walk yes. like in time of the of a Peter Gabriel song. Like <laughs> you know, he is he is not as respected in his time as he should be. Much like Peter Gabriel was. <laughs> like, you know, look, Claudio was the best member of Genesis. I'm having no more of it. Okay. <laughs> Before they even set foot in the ring, they are doing things which. Men their size shouldn't do, I guess. Diving through the cage, diving through the door. And it's probably at this point it's worth pointing out that despite his size and stature, this is probably one of the most athletic people we've ever covered on this podcast. The guy has got a nimble foot. Mm. I, even though I followed his career quite closely, I always still had the sense that I didn't know what he could actually do, what he could pull off, what he, yeah. could, what he could do in terms of strength or speed and whatnot and athleticism. It's difficult as well because you, I think you do get kind of like typecast as a big wrestler. Mm. Like you do get kind of pushed into a certain style of wrestling because like it fits the narrative, but also because I think older wrestlers will sometimes say as a word of warning to like the big young guys, like, don't push yourself too hard you you will injure yourself really badly and then you won't be able to continue like the fact that he's able to do the big boot throughout his career like it looks really as i said it looks really painful Mm. like you're landing on your knee and i think a lot of guys his size wouldn't have been able to keep that up as long as he did guys diving through the ropes yeah that's the thing like he is just agile and like very tough considering how big he is yeah and like I see sometimes wrestlers like, I mean, 
Uh, a wrestler I like is Dominic Dijakovic, who you fans may know as T-Bar in, the, in Retribution. But he's like a big man where I watch him and I'm expecting, I'm like, give me the flip. Because that's his whole thing is that he's super agile. He can do springboards and all that. And I feel there has to be a middle ground between that, where a big man, I have this almost unrealistic expectation of performance and the whole Kogan school of never leave your feet, brother, you're a big man. I feel like, but there's, there's such different body shapes though. Mm. Even though Dominic Dijakovic is a big guy, he's like all muscle. Yeah, and he's like, a, he's a long, lean man. Yeah, yeah, there's like no excess to him whatsoever. Whereas the kind of the beauty of Brody Lee was that he has like this quite chunky body. Like, yeah. He's he's quite beefy, yeah, in, yeah, and that he's like not like super super skinny and stuff like that. So the fact that he does all these like suicide dives is way more impressive. Yeah, and it's always it's just always like a little fucking sprinkle of magic when he would yeah. do something like that. I remember that we, it, was, it was our cover image for ages when he wrestled AJ Styles, yeah. and he's just fucking bust out this like flying karate kick out yeah. of nowhere. It's like, oh, okay, I guess he can do that now. Yeah. You know, here we are, like ten years later after this. So cool, fucking wild. The cage because you're in a smaller promotion. It's a little bit janky. And there's obviously, I think, indie wrestling companies are a bit wary to put on things like cage matches because they worry that maybe it doesn't look as big league as WWE. But having these two big muscle men in this cage, it looks like it's about to fucking, like, all four sides are going to bust down like a shitty bed (laughs) every time they hit into it. Yeah, it's so flimsy. It's so flimsy. And this is a very slappy offense match, folks. Uh, I don't know if it's thigh slaps or not, but every time Brody Lee makes contact... Chops. Oh my good lord. Yeah, he's uh, he's having chops for dinner tonight, is poor Claudio. It was at this point in the match that you told me that you believe Brody Lee looked like CM Punk. First of all, I thought he looked like a young Mick Foley. Like, very young Mick mm, Foley. A young Cactus Jack Manson Mick yeah. Foley. Yeah, yeah. And then I was like, no, he reminds me of someone else as well. And I said CM Punk because I don't know CM Punk very well. And I realized it wasn't CM <laughs> <Clearly>. Punk. <laughs> What's the CM Punk he reminds me of? It's actually Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Which, okay, in fairness, he d- he does have that vibe, particularly yeah. with the the tank top and all yeah, that. Yeah, and you the know. big the big sideburns and stuff like the the mutton chops. Poor, C- I mean, CM Punk had mutton chops a period of time. I think that's why I was getting confused. Ah. But he never had the big hair. You know what? When we get to do live show again, we're going to do it about celebrities, and you're going to learn all about the greatest showman in the sport of professional wrestling. And you're going to have a good time. That's all I can say about that. Isn't The Greatest Showman Hugh Jackman? The Greatest Showman Hugh Jackman. The one and the same, Joe. Hmm. <laughs> so we have Claudio getting beaten up and bullied and manhandled by Big Brody Lee here. And the thing that sets him off and makes him really upset is after all these chops and slaps, it's when Brody has the indignity to do a European uppercut to Claudio which sends him into what I can best describe as a Euro rage. <laughs> Full of European uppercuts. They were very <laughs> gleeful, though. They weren't very rageful. Oh, I love seeing them f- him fire up. Like yeah. He's so good as a face in this. I love it. <laughs> and he have the big fire, and he's, he's, he's swinging him into... He's throwing him into the cage and all that. And when he goes into that cage, Brody goes with such force. Like It looks like he's about to tear a hole through it. And he comes back and straight away, you know, this family promotion is getting its first taste of blood because <laughs> he got messed up bad. Yeah, Brody starts bleeding big time. <laughs> yeah, lots of blood. Now, I was reading a lot. Uh, Cesaro spoke at great length. Uh, he was on the New Day Feel the Power podcast. He had a special kind of roundtable after Brody's passing. 
uh, that had me fucking bawling my eyes out. So you know, watch with 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 strong only with strong resolve. I would recommend you watching that. But he mentioned specifically in this match was like a great instance of like he was always like kind of Brody was always like kind of stirring the pot and talking shit and stuff like that because he dove as hard as he could as you saw in that himself mm. into that and after the match he came back and he told the owner like the whole problem was that oh, Claudio is too damn strong <laughs> uh, he, this guy's throwing me around like put me in there with someone who knows how to work like, <laughs> and there's something about like gentle natured ribbing like that where everyone's on board is like oh man that's so much fucking nicer than the hazing fucking bullshit yeah. like you know you can still josh and bust each other's chops without having to bring a gun to the locker room undertaker yeah you know? <laughs> oh, and cesaro does the swing then and the blood just starts free flowing I-, I love that that the idea of of bleeding and then getting swung. the swung which like really would make you bleed a lot more now the swing was really interesting here because he wasn't hampered by fans counting to try and do it in a way where people could count along he literally just swung him as fast as he could yeah which given the size of brody mm. both men that's the thing like when, when someone does something powerful you have to kind of give credit to both individuals involved there because he then press slams brody lee over his head <laughs> That was fucking wild. Oh dear, so impressive. That's absolutely amazing. Like I knew Cesaro was strong, but wow. And that's the only time I think I've ever seen him go like. Ugh. Yeah, it's the only time I've seen him struggle, and I've seen him do that spot to like Mark Henry in the Big Show and stuff. <laughs> so um, I've described this match uh, in, in honor of Big E, who's uh, close friends with with Brody Lee. This is big power men slapping power meat. <laughs> power meat. We have both of them climbing up onto the top of the cage. At the same time, they both slip, fall, double ball shot. Double dick spot. I love that. Hilarious. Excellent. The referee, a young Bryce Remsburg, now with hair, gets knocked out. And despite the fact that the commentator is like, we've got four referees for this match, so there'll be no problems. And then the referees can open the door because it's locked. <laughs> Who's got the keys if not them? I'm guessing the referee that was inside the ring, right? That's so fucking shit. Poor planning. That's how you get locked out of a house. <laughs> Claudio heads up to the top of the cage. He does a top of the cage uppercut. And then we get a super crazy Ricola powerbomb where he just picks up Brody and throws him as high as he can in the air. Now, there's something about Brody being so giving that even though this guy's whole thing is that he's the biggest, scariest guy in the roster and he's like, throw me as hard as you fucking can. Like, I think it completely flies in the face and proves that that whole, like, oh, you lose your credibility as a big man if you get thrown around. Oh, yeah, it's nonsense. Absolute fucking nonsense. But then I- Maybe it's like a subjective thing that like some people did see that and were like, oh, he's devalued in my mind now because they're like, I don't know. They have no standards. I don't know. I mean, I just it made it all the more impressive. Yeah, I love know? it. I love it because you never get to see it and I want to see it. This is what this is why I love wrestling. I see very powerful people do moves to each other that you never get to see. In front of not a very big audience, no. I should say. You know, no digs or anything like that, but like it's it's a performance that you would expect in front of like an arena full yeah. of twenty thousand people. And what I kind of love most about it is that my mind kind of I phased out a bit while watching this, and I just imagined like 
you know, like a Bro- Brody Lee Jr. playing a wrestling figures and they'd be like, and then the super, super power bomb. And there's so much of that in this yeah. match. They they hold nothing back. It is an indul- it's an indulgent, rich wrestling match <laughs> is what I'm saying. Bold flavors. It's sweetness of the dick spot and everything. I loved it. it really sweetness of the dick spot. And this was a match, like, I remember, I... I absolutely mind's eye I envision myself I'm in Adam Biblo's bedroom watching this match my eyes getting like big and like my passion for wrestling growing bigger than I never thought was possible so it was really fun to revisit this match this was like heartwarming for for me you know that's a selfish kind of rose tinted glasses I mean I want to know what you thought of the match though what did you reckon to these big boys inside a cage I thought it was a very very good match you know I'm not I'll be honest, I'm not a big fan of cage matches. Yeah, you've said before. I've yeah. said before, yeah. I just think it's a bit limiting. And I find that sometimes the pacing of cage matches can be a bit strange. Like, I don't understand why so often you'll get people trying to escape the cage and then they come pinning. back in yeah, and then, yeah. yeah, and blah, blah, blah. And there were a couple of moments like that in this match, as there always are in cage matches. But it was it was generally very good fun. And the, there were lots of wrestling moves I'd never seen before that were very impressive. So I gave it four stars. Nice. Because... I had a very good time and I do think it was worth watching if you want to see like big men slapping power me. <laughs> uh, we will of course have a, in the recommended bonus viewing on howtowrestling.com we'll put a link up for this match you can watch it yourselves see what you think of it yourselves. So he spent around you know a, a good tenure while he was in Shikara he was there on and off for nearly eight or nine years and what was interesting about that is that you know Oftentimes you think arrests are, even though they're appearing frequently on a show, you think, oh, that's what they do. That's their job. But I think the Colcabana episode, we talked about this a lot, the role of an independent wrestler. You don't have a set home base or anything like that. He was working for countless promotions, big and small, all over the country. Places like 2CW, he's wrestling in his hometown of Rochester and upstate New York. Places like Evolve and Dragon Gate, where he would have wrestled a very young John Moxley. Which is like kind of, it's interesting to see that he was, you know, he obviously saw a future for himself in wrestling because he was trying to take it to the next level and not just be, you know, kind of the big hardcore guy or anything like that or fall into that kind of hardcore style of wrestling. What was really interesting about this is that all during this time, you know, this was only a part-time gig when he was wrestling. He was a librarian in his local high school in Rochester this entire time, which I think, again... There's like when I when I found that I'm like you know you are a mystery John Huber you know like he's this very sweet man who you know well you know he finds himself at a crossroads like where it's like well maybe I'm gonna you know retire from wrestling and become a full time librarian or maybe I'm gonna retire from being a librarian and fucking uh, and go and be a wrestler it's an odd branch and a path for career choices for wrestlers I don't think we've ever had something like that before yeah about opposite from being a wrestler as you can possibly get being a librarian at a high school yeah i mean from my time in teaching the librarians often struggles yeah uh, in you terms need of, uh, you know... crowd control and you need to be able to assert your authority without saying very much you need the wild eyes of and a librarian you need the wild he's eyes he's got a librarian's eyes it's so funny to imagine like kids being really scared of him in school and be like you want to go to the library <laughs> Mr. Huber is there. Oh, oh, 
He's going to give me a lariat. <laughs> <laughs> While he was on the indies, this is something I also didn't realise as well. Um, Amanda Huber, who is it was his wife and now widow, she's obviously spoken out a lot about his passing and you know about AEW's kind of relationship with the family, and she's appeared you know on on their podcast and you know on her Instagram, she's done posts, and honestly, she's had to put up with so much fucking shit because obviously you can imagine what it's like to lose your best friend and your fucking partner and all that and you're the father of your children and all those things but dealing with toxic wrestling fans telling you that you're grieving wrong and all that but something i didn't know she was a wrestler as well wow i know this is crazy i found out that she was a wrestler and that's actually how they they both met was oh, when they were, nice. were wrestling uh, it was kind of hard to find out you know where she wrestled or under what name she wrestled. I did manage to track it down in the end. It is the most 2000s wrestling name ever. She was Cindy. S-Y-N-N-D-Y. Wow. <laughs> That's fucking Cindy. amazing. Cindy. Yeah, she seems to have had some sort of like a roller girl gimmick, which really? is interesting. But the best thing I found was like whatever was the local little wrestling promotion that she wrestled for which had a very like you know early noughties you know html website you know like, kind of like the, the the fan they had like kind of the the spotlight profile on cindy the wrestler and it's the one bit i noticed was like her her favorite wrestler she just wrote down Brody lee and I'm like, oh man that's fucking sweet that's like. really cute but it made a kind of a lot of sense and we'll talk about kind of amanda and stuff later on as well but I was kind of amazed by her strength during all of what went down because yeah, and also her handling of it. Like when he what was, she expected, I guess. Like know? when he got sick, like the way she handled the locker room. Like I know because that's a really that's a really difficult thing I think to handle. Like and especially in the industry of wrestling, where there's you know the the issue of kayfabe mm. and there's locker room talk and stuff. And it just seemed like she had such good control over the situation. Yeah. She knew exactly what she expected of of everyone and what she kind of wanted to. Not to get out of it, but like what she didn't want to happen as a result. She she was very familiar with with what happens in wrestling when a when a figure passes away, like of, yeah. of that stature. And it was just you know, if you've not seen it, the the podcast she's done with with Aubrey Edwards, who we talked about in a referee episode, and uh, Tony Schiavone for for AEW, it's just like fucking hell. Like she's made of strong stuff. Yeah, you know that's that's amazing. You know she's an absolutely amazing woman. Uh, I just couldn't help but like be amazed. Of course, she was a fucking wrestler, was what I said to yeah. myself, you know. But yeah, he's reaching a point now in kind of around 2010 11 where Brody Jr. is just born, you know, they're married, and they literally have a conversation of like, well, probably going to retire. You know, he'd had a, a good run, he thought. He'd but done, he was going to retire. He was going to retire. He thought, yeah, WWE aren't going to hire me. He had approached them before and they said they didn't want anyone of his size. <laughs> Sure, buddy. I thought Vince McMahon like big men. When did that? When did that stop he's, happening? He's trying to. He's trying to stay off the big stuff. <laughs> Leaner Vince McMahon. There's not any big men in wrestling. You don't want a fucking near seven foot monster who can do fucking dives. <laughs> oh, okay. And like, there's so many little stories like this, which you know, I would say many minds would amount to being very frustrating for him. But like, he finally gets a call from Johnny A. He's like, "Hey, yeah, we want to bring you in for a tryout." And the phone starts breaking up and he has no signal. And all of a sudden the phone call goes and he's like, oh, okay, well, I'm sure he'll ring back. And like an hour later, he has to ring back and he's like, oh, I don't have a number for him. I Have I lost my opportunity oh, now? Oh, no. And to the rescue, fucking absolute hero, Cesaro got in touch oh. 
and he's like, I'll get you on a car with him. And just... Cesaro, who's like not even like he's barely mid card. I know, yeah, <laughs> bless but he, him. So he pulled a few strings, got him back on the car with Johnny Ace. He got his tryout and he got signed to a developmental deal. Amazing. And one of the absolute amazing things was that when he got signed to developmental, I was like, you know, I, 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 you know, had been following him at that point. When he signed to developmental, I just kind of assumed that he wouldn't get to do his. You know, his look. You know, yeah. I figured he wouldn't get to be jeans and a tank top. Because you don't see a lot of that in wrestling, really. Particularly in WWE. No. But they managed to find a way to kind of integrate that. His new name is Luke Harper. And very early on, when Florida Championship Wrestling becomes NXT, very quickly he is linked up with Bray Wyatt as being... He's introduced as the first son of the Wyatt family. And, of course, he gets to wear the same gear. Because it makes sense, right? He's this kind of swamp guy yeah and his hometown it's now it's from I, it's my favorite thing in wrestling snakebite florida is his hometown <laughs> which i looked up on wikipedia and it is a ghost town there's, there's no one there it's a town that was abandoned in the 70s that's cool and like you know me as a wrestling fan you know who loves his fucking lore and all that jazz you know they they say like oh i found this man and he was lost and so the idea of like big rig Brody Lee driving around the country and all of a sudden just being like lost for whatever reason and Bray Wyatt picks him up. Picks him up. You're Luke Harper now. Sure. Come with me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take you away from this horrible ghost town to my compound. <laughs> now, the only real difference in the look is that when he's Luke Harper, he's a lot dirtier, Joe. Mm. Uh, a lot greasier. A lot smellier looking. You had some concerns about the look. Oh, just that I think he might, he looks very smelly. So I did do some research about this and apparently he went to extreme lengths. He was the one who was in charge of making his vests look that way and he would dye them, he would apply stuff to them but also, as confirmed by Xavier Woods, they smelt incredible. You see, that's interesting you say that because like, yes, they looked smelly but I think when you look like he does... He has to be very... I always thought he would smell very nice. Yeah, as, as a fellow hairy man, like you have to groom a little bit more. Yeah, because people expect you to smell bad, and yeah. therefore you have to smell you know, extra good. Yeah. So I'm not surprised that he smells really good. And I'm I'm really glad to hear that. And also yeah. really impressed at his costuming. So, yeah, right, to make it look like that. Because yeah. literally, like, I was saying to you, my theory was that he just he never changed it the entire time. Because it looked like from NXT to the main roster, he got progressively dirtier. I don't think he could have gotten on with so many people in the wrestling locker room and smelt like shit. (laughs) People would have been like, ugh. (laughs) Remember that when we do our Vader episode. I've got a funny story (laughs) to tell you about that. But apparently one of the main ways you could piss him off is that if you ever tore one of his vests or grabbed on in the match, he'd be like, mother, no. So he has to make a new one. He has to make a new one. It's like what appears to be the most garbage gear in wrestling was actually a lot of love and time and care. And that is something, someone said that to us, like, you know, that he was one of the few wrestlers that had, like, a level of subtlety to him. Yeah. Which you don't really get in wrestling, usually. <laughs> like, Luke Harper, you know, he's he's tagged up with Eric Rowan for uh, another man with a fabulous bottom and a big hairy beard as well. And the interactions between those two and the little things that he would do in the ring as Luke Harper, like, this is all unique to this character, I was fucking enraptured with this the looks in the eyes the things he do with his hands he'd look up in the sky he point around he muttered to himself yeah 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 what is that it's mm-hmm. fucking incredible I, I literally it's like the thing 
that has been in my head about wrestling the most in the last 10 years. I don't know. It's like he saw a homeless man and was like, just watched him for all. It's like, it's just, it's very authentic. Like, it's just like a slightly wild man who doesn't care what people think. He goes around and he looks at things and he mumbles shit and he doesn't care. There was a guy like that in Galway who used to, he used to walk around and he'd be just, he'd be doing like jazz hands and he would just be like muttering to himself Mm. all the time. And I remember once we drove to like the post depot in Galway and it's like three miles out of the city and he was just fucking out, like out and walking that far away and then later that night he was in town it's like this guy he's just like he's just walking everywhere constantly I came back a few years to Galway he was still fucking there <laughs> uh, but it just like little things like that that eccentricity like and and consistent eccentricities as yes. well because I think that's in wrestling very easily overlooked where people will go like they'll do these silly little gimmick bits and then they'll forget about them because they get bored or they start to do them over the top and do them too much and it's just stupid and his, his level of eccentricity was perfect for the yes, character absolutely and like it's a, it's a point i definitely want to hit on and coming into this next match there's there's oodles of this is that you might feel kind of like uh, me as a fan i felt like oh i'm kind of i was shortchanged by this fucking amazing performer who i love taking away before his time but like there's a lot to be said about re-watching matches of a performer who layered in all this fucking shit into his mm. matches that you know, <laughs> I remember watching Luke Harper once on the main event. All of a sudden, he busts out a cartwheel and starts doing muscle poses, going, Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, Yeah, of course, it, that's consistent with the character. But apparently, it was related to this long running feud he had with a lot of the women on the roster, where like he would try and do as many of Dana Brooks poses from her routine in the match. I love that. Dana Brooke, as well, who like is so forgotten. Yeah. I, like, I just think she's one of the, like, the most. Um, disregarded performers mm. like everyone just goes oh it's just dana brooke and like he saw her and appreciated her like to the point where he referenced her in his matches like that's so cool so and like, he would do it as well there's loads of referees who had like little running gags with him like the referee <laughs> like, there's a referee who used to come out and he would like do like luke harper's like hand signal to the crowd and he'd come out like you know to try and get in his head and all that like there's all these like little like everyone seemed to have a story like a little fun joke that they had and you know it's it's a, you know as fun as it is to talk about you know pranks and ribs in wrestling. So many of those end up with like wrestlers' bags in the fucking shower, or yeah. like, hey, you filled my keyhole full of you know the key to my car has been broken. <laughs> good one, guys. Mm. Like this is the stuff that like makes me feel good about wrestling, you know, as opposed and to it, being like you know, it's the stuff as well that makes people feel good about themselves as well. Like anyone who's had any kind of in joke with someone knows how special it makes you feel. Like it just makes you feel like you've got this yeah. secret special friendship that you know no one else has with this person. And like God, like now he's passed. I can only imagine how much more valuable those little yeah. moments are. Like there, there are these kind of wrestlers you hear sometimes where they're kind of like this like necessary kind of ingredient to keeping 100 people on the road 300 days a year, keeping them sane. It's and like it, a little thing you can look forward to. Like yeah. A little joke with John. Exactly. Like something that can like lighten your day. Like yeah. th- those are the things that you, you really appreciate in wrestling. So he debuts very shortly after showing up in NXT. The act is kind of a bit too big for the then developmental brand. So by the mid-2013, they've debuted onto the main roster with Bray, and the Wyatt family is kind of pushed as this kind of big, big, big faction that's going to kind of dominate on, on Monday nights. And we come here now to probably one of the, in my mind, one of the greatest matches of like modern times, 
from Elimination Chamber 2014. And oh, it's only the first match I bloomin' well showed you of the modern era. And good lord, was my aim true when I showed you this one. The Wyatt family taking on the shield in a six-man war. Oh man, I was literally hopping on a leg to watch this one with you. Joe, how was it going back in time and seeing... Those three handsome shiny boys, the shields. Oh my god, what a difference seven years makes, huh? So this is the match that you first showed me, isn't That's it? That's the match, the one and the same. The Hunkfest. The Hunkfest. Where I must point out as well, one of the greatest things about this match is that everyone looks like they're having the best fucking time of their lives yeah, everyone's really excited to be here yeah and except for roman looks who realizes how big a deal this is it looks a little nervous at points oh yeah he does this is such alpha roman and i don't mean alpha is in powerful good roman i mean this is like early days beta testing early early access, roman, <laughs> early access like, yeah you, you give feedback for the developers in the comments like, <laughs> updates yeah. required he should have blue eyes oh no get rid of the blue eyes oh I think Dean's the one who's changed the most. John Moxley now. You really think Dean's changed the most? I mean, he, he looks, you know, here he's kind of, he's got kind of a boyish look. He's leaning into the ruggedness. I guess it's more by design, I guess, compared to, to everyone else. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, but like he couldn't, if he'd tried to do what he's like now back then, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. It only works because he's this like older guy now. Yeah. Like he's a young years. boy back then. It works. I think Roman's the one who's changed the most. Yeah, that's true. Pop that top off. He's literally like <laughs> a puppy. Literally <laughs> a puppy dog. He doesn't know what he's doing. A little puppy. He's so inconsistent. <laughs> Acknowledge <It's>... me. <laughs> really funny <laughs> like we start off seth so obviously the the shield they always come out through the crowd yeah. seth does like a forward flip over the barricade dean like coolly steps over it he like you know casually just like does a little hop roman gingerly like he's kind of stuck like he's going one over leg over a country gate yeah, he's like, oh like no that. and the gate's opened and now he's on the opening gate and it's like oh the sheep are all leaving the field what do i do can the cow kill me <laughs> mom <laughs> Yeah, it's really funny. And then we've got the Wyatt family's like really cool, mysterious entrance. And we've got, you know, younger Bray, I guess, before he became the fiend. And he's part of the Wyatt family and they're all together. I love that Luke has the kind of the anti-Instagram yes. pose always where he's lit from below. And you can, like, you can see, see up his nose. Up his nose. It gives him such a towering, strange it's presence. the opposite of the faces Roman pulls in this match. Like Roman's <laughs> pouting. He's got his head tilted forward. He's like proper like MySpace angle. Luke Harper, other way around, like unflattering as fuck. Love it. But yeah, Michael Cole then ruins the mystique <laughs> by because like, we've literally got their like cool entrance, which is I think it's a song by Mark Crosner, and they come out to like to darkness, and the fans have got their little their phones, phones, the fireflies, phone lights on, yeah. yeah, the fireflies, and it's like really really cool. And then Michael Cole starts talking about some tweet Bray post earlier today. This. Scary man tweeted that... <laughs> Logged on to Twitter in his <laughs> compound. Have they got an internet connection? Earlier today, Bray Wyatt requested a password reset for his <laughs> Twitter login as he had misplaced it and didn't want to have to go into his last pass, which he oh, didn't remember. Great, them. now we have to log into our Gmail account <laughs> and that means we have to verify our new device. Oh, it's never easy. When these guys stand off against each other and they manage to make the crowd of people scream, this is awesome. 
I would have called just, it a, called like, it a yeah. night there. Like, all right, we got it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we popped them. Like, follow that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that this obviously is a great match to show a new wrestling fan because yeah. obviously it got me into wrestling. But I've got to say that this is awesome chant before they've even done anything was kind of cringe. Yeah, it's going to make you, if you've never seen wrestling before and you see this, you kind of go, oh, wrestling fans, they're like really easy to please. Yeah. That it's like, <laughs> the wrestlers who are scheduled to fight the other wrestlers, they're here wow. now. That's low standards. Here at our pay-per-view. <laughs> <laughs> I was all eyes on Luke during this match because yes. I've seen it before and there's lots of little things that I like particularly when he's with Rowan uh, Ro- Eric Rowan who's probably along with Roman the least experienced of the group the only difference between Eric Rowan and Roman Reigns is that one guy's been groomed to be the top guy yes, and I don't yeah. think Eric was, was necessarily being groomed for that position no. even though he has a pinfall victory over Roman Reigns on pay-per-view yes we discussed that on our Patreon page yep. it did happen <laughs> Apparently it did happen. I'm yeah. glad we recorded an episode about it, so I know that it did happen. You sure we didn't lie? I th- I th- I'm like 80% you sure. You have elaborate kayfabe? It could be like, I'm pretty sure it's 70% sure at this point, okay. you know. But the things that he would do to, to Rowan, including but not limited to using Eric Rowan as an actual weapon. Like he would throw him into people and just throw him around. And he would slap him as well. I love that. Yeah, because like... Eric Rowan is not very good at acting. He needs, like, he, he said himself, he did interviews afterwards, he's like, well, he thought I needed to be fired up. Like, yeah, so and he did. And he slapped me and he'd get me kind of, you know. Because he, he looks <laughs> sulky. He, he does, Like, yeah. his default face is, unfortunately, even though he's a big, hairy, scary-looking guy, he just looks sulky. And I think, yeah. you know, for whatever reason, like, Luke realised that and was like, no, you need to look angry and scary. You can't look pouty all the time. And he do things as well, like, when they were on house shows, he'd, like, throw his goat mask off the ring apron so it's like you have to go and get him and it's like well he he said that the thought oh he's just trying to piss me off and then he's like well he's probably actually getting me to be more of the character to be into the character more and think about well how can i go down and get my mask and not seem like just i'm an idiot going to pick up my mask that was thrown so he was kind of challenging him to be better i guess you know completely worked because eric rowan i'm not saying he's like suddenly the greatest performer of all time he's not he's he's never going to be the best but he's come such a long way just since i've been watching i i remember you know thinking that he wouldn't have any longevity in wrestling and he's you know he got a win roman (laughs) reigns folks come on what more do you need like you know avenged his loss to the rocket wrestling (laughs) i love when luke as well when he gets in the ring with roman and he like he's pawing his face like a fucking cat like just smearing his fucking hair in his eyes moment where he does that to roman and like his finger goes in roman's mouth and roman's like (laughs) and as well like you know you've obviously got those that far away stare and all the kind of strange stuff he's doing where he's looking around i love the little bits as well where he turns anytime he will do something he'll turn to look to bray for like approval and Mm. stuff like that or before he tags in bray he'll make sure the person is down he'll get on his knees and be like this is for you and all. I love that stuff. Particularly when he gets hit, that blank face. Like, he's not like, it's just no expression. Like, his face just goes blank Yeah. when he gets hit and knocked out. I fucking love that. <laughs> he doesn't entirely go blank, actually. There's this, like, certain thing that he does, which is, like, almost like he's looking at the details on the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's suddenly, like, really interested in something up there. He's like, observing something else. Momentarily very distracted. I think Luke Harper in the ring with Seth Rollins is the stuff that dreams are made of. 
when he has that big back suplex and Seth lands on his feet. On his feet, yeah. Demanding to be a top guy. So Fucking good. Amazing. Oh. And I love that we're getting those cuts backs as well because it's meant to be like, what's Roman thinking about all of this? You know, Luke Harper doing something scary and we cut back to Roman who sometimes looks quite concerned and other times... It's like, yeah, boys, let's do this. I think I caught him yawning at one point. Yawning, yeah, coughing maybe. <laughs> it's hard to say. But Ro- d- d- just, if you ever watch this match, just either either just look at Roman or don't look at him at all because <laughs> he will either delight or yeah. you. Yeah, look at Luke instead. There's a lot of stuff going on there. He's working over Seth. We're building it up. We're building it up. And look, you can say what you about Roman Reigns. It allows me to say this on a podcast. Hot dog to the big tag Roman Reigns. I'm happy that he's in the match. Irregardless. <laughs> and we get this moment where everyone starts diving to the outside. Luke Harper, who's already bust out a drop kick in this match, then dives to the outside as well. And like, this is the match I remember because he was just such a henchman beforehand. And he wasn't really... You know, he beat people up. He, you know, he was there for Bray, you know, sacrificing people for Bray. This is the first time I think that the, the audience on mass got to see this guy, he can do stuff that, you know, there's a team of guys over here who could do flips and there's some powerful guys over here, but this guy can seem to do a little bit of everything. Yeah. Like it's, it is amazing that he stood out in a sea of exceptionally talented wrestlers. Which is probably why he didn't go down well with the fed. Cause they don't like that. Well, like this is the, apparently from this, this is the kind of what, stirred them to maybe give him a little bit of a, a push which i guess we'll, we'll talk about after this match we get to the point now after the ring has been cleared after all those dives that we just got the two big men roman and rowan left in the ring a battle as old as time itself we have seth Rollins been sent through the table so we have roman reigns being offered up now to bray wyatt and we have a moment where it looks like that roman's going to be able to topple everyone he knocks out Roman with the Superman punch. He's setting up for the spear. And another little subtle thing that Luke Harper runs in and dives and sacrifices himself for Bray. He takes the big move. And like I didn't like that the commentator was like, oh, he's running interference. It's like, no, he like that's the thing about his character is that even though like Bray has this hold over Luke and Luke has this hold over Eric Rowan. Yeah, there's a hierarchy. There's a hierarchy. Mm. And, it's, and like, it's down to him. Yes. 100%. You take him out of the equation and there's no hierarchy anymore. He's like, you know, they refer to him sometimes as the kind of his general or something like that. But mm. I, just, I like the idea of this big dude who's like, no, I'll, like, I'm not going to stop the guy. I'll sacrifice myself instead because he's always trying to like, prove his worth to this bigger than life cult leader it's fucking it's really great stuff but even if you don't care about all that highbrow looking for meaning where there isn't wrestle shite there's a really fun match that happens here so we have sister abigail the wyatt family pick up the win in honestly probably one of the greatest six-man tag matches i've ever seen it's i fucking love it joe i'm frothing at the mouth <laughs> it's such a good match yeah i can see why it got me into wrestling yeah i mean it it really really works there joe what was your uh star rating for this one is it seven years has it aged this wine any finer oh it's so good i mean it's not it's not like better than i remember it was just as good as i remember and i gave that's it... in many ways as, as impressive though I like, think you know? so yeah <laughs> given that you know i do remember this being the match that was kind of like hey this wrestling business ain't so bad after all <laughs> i gave it four stars because nice. i really enjoyed it it was really fun fabuloso like going back though and kind of seeing it now where there i mean i guess with roman there were things that you noticed that you hadn't before was there good sport in the rewatch i guess oh yeah definitely yeah and it's it's just, it's always fun, I think, to go back and see something that's like, feels nostalgic. 
Yeah, it's weird to see stuff from 2014 being like, those were the days. <laughs> Seven years ago. Yeah, not Fucking that long. hell, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's really sweet to see like how far everyone came from there. And you might think as well, like, oh, six person tag, no one's going to get to shine in this thing, right? Oh, no, everyone shines. Everyone even Eric. Shines. Yeah, even Eric. And like, we didn't tell the whole story as well with Dean is that the, he's meant to be the weak link and he's not there for the team when he's meant to be and he's always kind of jumping the gun. They tell so many stories in this match. I feel there's like kind of a creative freedom that was afforded these guys, which I think is lacking in wrestling today. In, in a lot of, t- a lot mm. of times, particularly in the WWE, it's just these six men figured out a way to get six people over yeah. in one match. Very well done indeed. And obviously, because of that, they set the Wyatts free a couple of weeks later in a random video package, and they just split them up. Well then, I, I, I like. When I was reading up about it and doing my research, I'm like, wait, that can't have been how they spit up the Wyatt family. Because I do remember they did a thing where Bray's like, now I'm setting them free. <laughs> Sorry. <Can't> stop. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he, he sets them free and then that's it. He's like, They're free now. Like, okay. So Eric Rowan starts doing Rubik's Cubes and Luke Harper is a team player and wants to join the authority team. I was like, so strange we never got like a luke harper says to bray wyatt like can you imagine how powerful that would be yeah. as a story you had control over my mind and my life and you know not anymore that's a great story to tell in wrestling in, in any format not just wrestling yeah and then you could have had like him turning on eric because he's been turned on himself and being like go i don't want you here you you've ruined this <laughs> stupid eric. animal again. Yeah, get out of here <laughs> or like eric is made to be the new like you know, he has luke's position and like luke is meant to be like kind of the, the oh, bottom the new, of the, yeah. the ladder or whatever feels like there was so much they could do there and it's like a rush where you're kind of like okay well we're gonna push this guy let's push this guy and like luke finds himself being split from the wyatt family and then kind of being thrown together with a bunch of like baddies for the authority and then they give him the intercontinental championship and it's like oh, okay like if this isn't a push then it, you know this that is a push right he has to get some momentum behind him now and that takes us to this match then, which takes place 27 days later, and one of only very, very few kind of high-profile matches that Luke Harper had himself as a singles competitor in the WWE. It's from TLC at the end of that year, 2014. It's a ladder match for the Intercontinental Championship. Dolph Ziggler versus Luke Harper. I say TLC. It's technically tables, ladders, and chairs, and stairs, or... TLC and stairs, as Michael Cole calls it <laughs> several times. Uh, as this match was put on, you turned to me and said, night, night, and you cuddled, you cuddled up in a blanket and decided that you didn't want to watch it. I don't want to watch Dolph Ziggler. Why is it my poor old Dolph? Why is it about men with blonde hair in wrestling who, who, are, who are very confident in themselves that you don't like? Wait, who else is that? Cody Rhodes. Oh, yeah. No, what that is? No, I just don't like him. Fair enough. I don't, I, it's not even I think he's a bad wrestler. I don't. I just don't like him. Oh, poor old Dolphy baby. So this is really cool to see. This is a cool moment to see like Luke come out. We mentioned the the eyes and the Titan Tron. It's one of the creepiest goddamn things ever. It's like a kaleidoscope of eyes <laughs> spinning around. I absolutely adore it. I think it's so cool. Yeah, really brilliant. I like as well. He's got that kind of that ring jacket. Someone pointed out that he would often have like the names of his opponents like written on the jacket and then like all scratched off and oh, torn up. That's cool. Again, like layers upon layers there. I don't think Luke Harper walks to the ring. 
I put it to you, Joe, that he wanders to the ring. <laughs> That's accurate. Yeah, I was going to say saunters, but I think wanders Ooh, is, is better. Saunters is a little bit cocksure. Yeah, it's a little too confident. And it's not really like he's confident. It's more like he's just kind of like happened to be here. It's like, yeah. oh, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> so this match is pretty damn brutal in terms of what they do. It, it actually reminds me quite a lot now thinking about... You know, that earlier cage match yeah. where it's like, you know, if I was playing with my wrestling toys in the ladder and as a kid, I'd be throwing them off that ladder every two goddamn seconds. And that's what they do here, folks. I think this match is a lot faster and more hard hitting than the cage match, even yeah. though it doesn't end in as much blood. I mean, if you probably cumulatively add up the blood in all the random places, because he bleeds from his wrist, his bicep. Dolph like, bleeds. Dolph bleeds. Like, there's blood in very random places yeah. that develops, yeah. But just like the the speed, I think it's probably just would happen with Dolph Ziggler being the opponent, yeah. I guess, because like Dolph fucking runs up ladders. You it's you had a way to describe Dolph's ability to like quickly scramble up and all that. <laughs> I think I said he was like a, a glitching NPC. Like. <laughs> like he'll get up there really quick, but he can't actually get the thing. Yeah, okay. oh, I think I said as well that he had the confidence of AJ Styles, but none of the precision. <laughs> I mean, Ziggler, he's in his hometown, yeah. which I guess might explain a little bit more of the caution being thrown to the wind here. You know, he's opening up the pay-per-view in front of the hometown. Also explains the Dolph Ziggler chance, which I've literally never heard before in my life. Here's I a... didn't even know that people knew his name. <laughs> here's, here's a legitimate quote from Joanna Graham as she was watching this match. Ugh, another Ziggler chant? Eye roll. <laughs> <laughs> They've just got no taste. So Luke Harper has a lot of fun throwing Dolph Ziggler into ladders mm -hmm. and ladders into Dolph Ziggler. Mm -hmm. There is a believability here. I always think back to when we saw William Regal live and he talked about you know, when you see things happen that you know would hurt in real life. There's a point where Dolph is on the ground. His hands are just you know laid out on the ground. He's getting up and Luke just pushes the ladder and it's on its side on the ground. It just kind of slides across the ring and it runs over the tip of Dolph's yeah, fingers. No. And he's like, yeah! And like, you see a few minutes later, there's blood on his fingertips. Yeah. Like, it, it is not... Oh, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? I had a nightmare the night before last where my thumbnail peeled off. No! So, yeah, that was quite traumatising to see that match. Oh, Jesus. And like, there is... Like, the closest, I can, the closest I can compare it to is someone like Kane or The Undertaker, where he has this, like, you know, we watched Halloween recently. He has that kind of Michael Myers, like, fucking hell, this guy just won't stay down. Like, he just, mm. he gets smashed through a ladder. He gets up far away stare, just slowly gets back into the ring every single time. And in an industry that is desperately in the fucking shadow of those particular big men, God, they would have done a lot worse than to put a bit more focus and attention to this guy. He was... Hitting all those beats, really, you know? I think that's why they didn't like him, though. I mean, you look at him and you, you can't see that potential. Like, what, what you think... No, I think they could, and I, they, I don't think they liked that. I don't think they thought he was a top guy. I mean, that's because in their mind, you know, in 2014, Undertaker is yet to become better than ever. Yeah. You know? So there's still a long ways to go. And I think they, they look at people like him and they probably think, oh, yeah, they make The Undertaker look bad. And... You know what? They're right. Because <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Undertaker looks bad. Yeah, it's it's true. But you know, in terms of like a big man who had that kind of indestructible vibe, and the, as a performer, to make the crowd buy into yourself as a threat when you've spent you know a year and a half and then some 
on screen as little more than a henchman. Yeah. You know, that's pretty impressive. And he's yeah. still, like, even though he's meant to be broken away from the Wyatts, he's still, like, he's still Luke Harper. Still is the name. The music is still very kind of, like, Southern. And, you know, he's meant to remind you of that group. And yet still here, I think he acquits himself spectacularly well of getting out of the shadow of Bray Wyatt. Yeah. Which I think Eric probably never managed to do, unlike Luke Harper. Yeah. You know, he never managed to kind of get past that point in his career. Uh, there's a really nice moment which just shows, I think, how thoughtful he is as a as a man like and as a wrestler. Mm. Which was, it, it looks just like he's randomly throwing stuff around, the way that big scary men sometimes do in wrestling matches. But he specifically chucks a ladder out of the way and then Dolph Ziggler runs towards him and he like... He like tosses him basically where the ladder was. He does a big spinhead boss yeah. man slam thing. Yeah, but he yeah. basically like, he he essentially moved the ladder out of the way for safety and also so that they could put on a big move. See, I love that because anytime you're watching these shows, you have this like safety consciousness in the back of your mind always. Yeah, you know, and I, you love and appreciate when wrestlers do that. I do, yeah. And for me, like it was just like here's big Luke Harper. He fucks a ladder out of the way. Come here, you big slam, and it's like. It read to both of us. Like, yeah. you saw him as being safe. I saw him as being... Reckless. Even, yeah, reckless. <laughs> like, the opposite of safe. So, yes, he was appearing reckless while actually being incredibly safe. As the best wrestlers often as are. The best wrestlers often are. But the next spot in the match that this really... I've not seen you wince at something wrestling oh, like this in quite a while. Horrible. This was something that appeared to be reckless, but upon closer examination, was far more reckless than it initially appeared. He does that amazing dive again. Luke flies through the ropes with that tope suicida. And we have the ladder brought up by Ziggler to kind of catch him. And I think the idea was that he'd smash into the ladder and fall over. But what happens is he comes into contact with the ladder. All the momentum stops and him and the ladder kind of crash together. His arms went through the ladder and his head went through like the rung of the ladder. And so obviously he's like, as we said, he's a big guy. And like, How do you clear that space of those ropes? Because Daniel Bryan always talks about... The sphere of your he's feet. Tiny. I know. He's tiny man. And this man's wearing big trousers. Big trousers, big man. And somehow he makes it through, but then also makes it partially through a ladder. Uh, I don't understand. But yeah, he, he gets all scraped up and it's, I mean, ladders are just really painful. I think ladders are the most painful inanimate object that exists. Yeah, it, it's horrid. Like when he, when he gets earlier, at a point later in the match, he gets slammed onto the ladder that's kind of at ringside. It's fucking, yeah. Well, it's horrible. It's not nice at all. But this one, I think, was was easy the most pain I'd seen him in. Because there's no kind of, there's no blank stare. There's no subtlety. He He's grabs, literally like, ow, fuck. <laughs> I love it, though. And I love as well that it is just like this, this like slightly small scrape that looks like, you know, when you see wrestlers especially like you know even luke harper who only earlier on in this episode we saw him getting all banged up with a cage and he was like no big deal yeah but like a little scrape to wrestling fans can be like yeah so what it's a little scrape that's nothing but like for me personally i find that's the most painful stuff of all because it's like yeah. as you were saying it's like william regal it's like you can relate to it and also as well i don't think any wrestler in the history of wrestling has ever went into a match being you know what i'd kind of like to get some color on my arms yeah and... get some scrapes no, if you want to bleed you're going to go for the foreheads yeah and you're going to do it yourself and crazy as that <laughs> still is to this day it seems but yeah it is um not anything that anyone probably came into the office today hoping that was going to happen i lost track of the amount of times that Ziggler was belting up that ladder. Yeah. He was hoofing it up that ladder <laughs> like he was late for a christening. And every time that there would just be some way he grabbed the leg, he'd just throw him off. Ziggler kind of just spinning out wildly like a 
trash bag caught in the wind. <laughs> you know, every time he's he is a up trash bag. It. You're right. <laughs> that was meant to be a compliment about his grace. <laughs> we finally get the finish come when Luke is finally down. He's going up again on grabs another ladder. Ziggler manages to kick him, and the announcer's like, "He knows. He's finally, finally, definitely done it." He savors the moment with the hometown crowd. Perhaps a second too long. He picks up the big win. And this was a kind of a, a little bit of a crushing moment for me because I was like, fuck, yes, that was such a god. That was a great old match. Amazing. Like He made him seem like a star. He made Dolph Ziggler seem like a star. And then I'm like, oh, wait, his Intercontinental Championship reign has just ended. And that's kind of it for the Luke Harper singles run. There was, it was bittersweet, I guess, is the best way I could put it at this point. Yeah, it's sad to lose to Dolph. <laughs> yeah, and the line at the end from Michael Cole, these two men will carry this company for the next 10 years. Like, that was kind of weird and sad and many different levels mm. you know that was kind of one of those like anytime they start talking about the young guys being the future this and the yeah. future that it almost always anyone gets the label it's like you're not the no they're not like they're not gonna stick with them now i want to know firstly you're writing for this match uh, obviously it featured Dolph Ziggler and it featured a lot of the stuff that makes you squeamish in wrestling yes. and, and had that in in buckets uh, I don't think I've seen a match that featured early onset eye rolls and late onset Ooh-ahs! but uh, how did you get on with Dolph and Luke I enjoyed this match an awful lot and you know what it took a lot of restraint to not just give it five stars but I can't give Dolph Ziggler a five star match Why? no I can't do it I won't I won't do it I won't be I won't be called on this <laughs> and I refuse to explain myself <laughs> I gave it four and a half stars okay which I mean very well deserved because it is a fantastic match it's mm. really great to see someone like Dolph Ziggler up against someone like Luke Harper it's just like you don't get to see matches like this very often especially yeah. in the, the WWE I mean it was just funny as well now that this opened the show and I was like and like in the preview on the network it's like and also in the show like Ryback takes on someone in like a stairs match and Eric Rowan takes him on, like, the big show in a chairs match. Like, <laughs> follow that. <laughs> so, yeah, they definitely set the tone, i.e. they ruined the night for everyone else. Because this was, like, such a stellar, stellar match. Yeah. A big man in a ladder match is something I'm always fascinated by. It's scary, though. Mm. And I don't want it to be done willy-nilly. I like that it was someone like Luke Harper who, you know, he's got an athleticism that can handle the the, the quite scary element of ladders because very often you might see a kind of a big guy and a little guy in a ladder match and the 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 more nimble or the more the agile person kind of is running around and run circles around this person going up and jumping off and like yeah we we did have that in this match but luke was kind of there every step of the way yeah. his speed kind of oddly went his speed kind of helped with that he's a monster michael myers type scary you know can't keep him down type of a figure it is odd that the speed actually worked well with that. He wasn't lumbering in this match. Yeah. He was that kind of like terrifying presence throughout the match. He was, oh man, what a performance. <laughs> now, if you're Vince McMahon and you see this, why are you not putting a rocket on this guy and sending him to the moon? You know, having big match. Imagine big feuds with like Roman or Daniel Bryan. No, because he'd make him look bad. He because it's, make, make no, him... it would because, no, in Vince's eyes, he would because 
if he can do all that, then what's their excuse? You know, Daniel Bryan, he's little. Why, why isn't he big? <laughs> yeah. why, why isn't Roman Reigns really good? Like, why isn't he as good as him? Like, he's just, it's a bit, he's a bit unfairly talented, isn't he? And I think mm. a normal person would go, wow, he's really good. Let's make yeah. him a top star. Because in Vince's mind, he sees this kind of henchman. He's, yeah. He has a very narrow image of what Luke Harper, the character, was meant yeah. to be. And it wasn't Brody Lee, because... The main issue he had, and Brody said this when he appeared on Jericho's podcast after he left the company, which is that he couldn't do a southern accent well enough. The guy from Rochester, New York, from fucking upstate New York, yeah, surprisingly. But why? why what does it matter? Because Vince sees the guy, he sees big alligator, Florida, southern. He's why a big... alligator? Why southern? Like, why can't you get big guys from the north? You've, you've literally splintered him off from Bray Wyatt who's yeah. meant to be the kind of the Bayou cult leader or whatever and you know Eric Rowan couldn't do no southern accent and they had no problems fucking making him giving him a victory over Roman Reigns yeah. I just I I I try to always see the best in people and in the walks of life you meet, meet all sorts of people and it's always kind of great to find out what everyone's thing is and what they're great at and I take great joy in finding out what people's passions and interests and things that they excel at and particularly as well when people are great at things they don't realize that they're great at you know i'm surrounded in my podcasting universe by including yourself incredibly oh. talented people and i'm like you're so great at this thing you know says the guy who can't do like any of the great shit that you or adam or sam or billy can do <laughs> why would you hate someone for being something that they're not you know, like I, 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 because or, he's everything else, I guess. So why can't you just do a southern accent? You've never, like, literally, put the microphone in Luke Harper's hands twice in his entire WWE career. And by the way, folks, two people here who spent the morning watching Mr. Brody Lee with the Dark Order doing all sorts of silly improv. The man can talk. Oh yeah. Not in a southern accent, though. I bet you know what? I, I bet he could talk in a southern accent, well, but we just like, he, like exactly. Low, I know. bet he was like, oh yeah, I can't, I can't do it because I don't want to. I just, I fucking <laughs> hate that. You know, it would be like Tajiri secretly could do it all along. Yeah. Back, you know? <laughs> but yeah, I just kind of feel like if he did do the southern gimmick, he'd be like, great. Now we can really go to town with you as being a southern henchman. You Yay! Know? What a waste. I, I know, and I kind of, I'm torn because obviously I love there to be, you know, characters in the background who've got, you know, great looks and subtleties and all that. And it's great. It's obviously it's great. But, you know, he had several years with the Wyatts. And the fact that after this as well, after he has the singles around the Intercontinental Belt, they just put the Wyatts back together. No. And the thing we didn't realize at the time, I remember on our pay-per-view reviews, we were quite down on this Wyatts 2.0 situation. Or I guess Wyatts 3.0. Like, Luke Harper's role, he was meant to be the big, tough guy in the heavy. Who's in the group now? Braun Strowman. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? And suddenly the hierarchy as well is, like, confusing. Well, I never understood Braun in Yeah, his in positioning like, in the White Family was never clear. He was the black sheep. Okay. Okay, all right. You know, and this is this is the issue then, is that he's kind of... Anything that's going to happen is going to seem like kind of a step back at this point once you've pulled the trigger and you said, this guy's a single star, except now he's back with Eric Rowan. And then we get an injury and all of a sudden the Wyatts kind of are going on without him. And like, I, I hate to talk about this point now because it feels like, you know, I look at my notes and I'm like, oh, have I repeated myself here? But no, no, I've not because he gets injured in 2016. He comes back full of ideas, great shape, looks like he's ready to go. But they decided, nah, we're not going to do that instead. 
we'll stick it with the the Bludgeon Brothers instead. I think that's what we'll do. Cool, we'll the cool new gimmick. We did not have kind things to say about the Bludgeon Brothers, if I recall. No. Uh, there was one little nice thing about the Bludgeon Brothers. I found out though was that when he had the hammer, which was made by Tom Savini, the master of horror, who did all the things like Night of the Living Dead, etc. Oh wow! Uh, he also made the Fiend mask. But when he was making the hammer, Brody had one request, which was please make sure you put the name of my son Brody Junior. It's on the handle of the hammer. It's Aww. written in there. So it's like a little nod to him there, which I think is really, really sweet. But the the Bludgeon Brothers were meant to be, like, huge. Vince was said, like, you know, we're, we're going to make you the devastating, dominant tag team. And they did have some good matches. I remember Brian and Roman took on the Bludgeon Brothers in a really, really great match on pay-per-view that we reviewed as well. But then Eric Rowan gets injured. So it's like, okay, you know, if... The idea of pushing you as this unit is all you have, and then you've got ha- you can't have a bludgeon brother on his own. So he decides, right? I'm, I, I, you know what though? They could have. They of course they could if have. If it had just been Luke, they could have. Like he could have pulled it off himself. He showed like when he came back. You know that first time when he was injured, he came back and they did that whole thing. Where remember Randy was like infiltrating the Wyatt family yeah. and Luke was like, I think something's up here. And they did a face turn yeah. for Luke. He had a match with Randy. You know, he had a singles match as well. So nah, no, 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 nothing after that. You know, it's it's really kind of sad that he then like has to go and go, all right, I'll go. I'm going to go get surgery. I've got some nagging issues. I'll come back again. 39 years old at this point. Whoa, really? Yeah. And he's like, I've come, I've come back again now. He was. Do you remember the shape he was in towards yeah, the end? Yeah, it was amazing. Put on a lot of lean muscle mass. He was trim. Yeah, because he was looking quite not not in a bad way, but he was looking chunky with uh, his match against Dolph. I loved it. Oh yeah, great look. Really suited his look. But, but he, yeah, he'd he'd really trimmed up after that. And that's one of the things that WWE kind of from the few languages they understand. You can come back with a million amazing creative ideas if you haven't got a six pack. That's it. You come no. back and it, well, he's got ideas and a six pack. Yeah. And I remember my heart fucking broke. It was around the time of the WrestleMania. He had two WrestleManias in a row where they had, uh, he wasn't even booked on the card. And he wrote this post saying like, oh, I'm you know going to be wrestling at this kind of access show. And yeah, that'll be WrestleMania for me. But he's like, you know, I'm 39 years old now. Mm. You know, this is it. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm putting everything into this. I have to make a run of it now. Because here's a guy who 10 years prior nearly was saying he was already going to retire from wrestling and yeah. he was done. And he has a second kid now. And, you know, I'm sure that his family are... Wanting to see him. The story I think I told you was right after he had passed that everyone would come out and say he say goodbye forever. No. Because he just wanted to, it was his way of saying like, my two days with my family, I'm going to pretend like that's forever if you don't mind. Yeah. Because I love them so much and I want to be with them. And obviously you want to make the most of your opportunities and make your money. But like, he asked for his release and then they turned around and said, no, you've been injured too much. Six months and he just sat at home for six more months. Ugh. That year of 2019 for him is like a fucking nightmare. Best shape of your life. Yeah. Thinking, I've only got TikTok, TikTok, only a bit of time left. Imagine as well, like, it's hard enough to get in shape, but to stay in shape when you're I not know. able to, like, you know, your job isn't to be in matches all the time. Like, that's so hard. I remember, like, when I was getting in, this is not, you know, I don't know how related this is or not, but just... That feeling of like, uh-oh, tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. I remember, you know, if you're in your early 20s, you always feel like worried that you're getting old and all that stuff. Like, I was from the ages of 23 to 29, I was like, ah! And the age 30 has been very great for me onwards because I just don't give a shit really more about my age. But I had left my job and thought I was going to get into teaching. And I was like, okay, 
if I apply right now, I can get onto this teacher training course for next year. And I was literally a day away from the application. Oh. And they told me, saying, you've not thought about this enough. You really should give it another year. And I was like, okay. And I didn't sleep for fucking weeks because every night I was there going, it'll be okay though, right? Because then I'll be uh, 27. And then if I and, and then I start teaching, I'll be 28. Then. And I was just racked in my mind thinking I was running out of time and I was raring to go. Mm. And it's not a nice feeling, folks. Yeah. This is obviously a much bigger, different situation. But sitting at home? Mm. That's fucking shit, right? How do you keep value in yourself when you have that? I right? mean, at least he was with his family. Yeah. But, like, being, it's just being in that state of limbo. Like, as you say, he wanted to retire before. Like, he probably would have been really happy if they'd just gone, you know what? Fuck off. Just go retire. We'll be, we'll, we'll be grand. And, you know, he'd have probably been really happy just being at home with his family. Yeah. I mean, like, you asked for... A release and they say six more months. Yeah, just hang on in there. Just a bit longer. So we But can... also can you just keep that six pack please? For what us? what is that but a flex to, to like say yeah. we can keep you for six it's months? It's such and... Vince McMahon shit. It is. I hate it. It's petty. And you know what? I think part of the reason Vince didn't like him enough to push him, and part of the reason they did all this stuff to him is because he was a nice man. And I think in the eyes of a lot of people in the wrestling business, niceness is mistaken for weakness. You're absolutely right. And they look at someone like him who was kind and considerate of others and who worked nicely and made friends and treated genuinely his his colleagues like a family and treated his family like a family, which in this business is actually quite rare. Yeah. And they probably thought, that's a bit weird. What wrestler does that? It's... It's, it kind of makes me think about, like, you know, some of the things the wrestlers have been saying about him. You know, WWE is a family is a thing you hear all the fucking time. Yeah. What about wrestling? But WWE, they're like, we're, we, they will yeah. say we're a family. You know, we're a family. Dad, your stuff's in that trash bag over there, by the way, if you don't mind picking it <laughs> up. Can you put a sticky note on it? Why are you obsessed? But like, I remember it was Big E was talking about it. And he was like, when, when he was in Florida with them, they got this chat from someone. And they were like, you know, when you're, when you're in WWE, it's, it's like a family. And sometimes people will, will get released or they'll leave or they'll get injured. And what's so great is when they come back then a few years later, it's like you just pick up where you left off. And he was like, that's so fucking depressing and sad because you're implying there, as so many wrestlers have said before, like when you leave the company, you just stop talking to everyone. Yeah. You don't have friends you're anymore. You're not part of the family now. And like Big E was like, that is so fucking shit. And like him, Big E and so many others, Cesaro as well, like they came out and they said, actually after he left the company we were in touch more we became better friends like people like natalia talk like saying like, you know, they were in touch so much more and like that was like i hope wrestlers can learn from that that like you leave the company particularly now that there's two companies it's not like you're a fucking persona non grata like, yeah hey if you're friends and you have a good time together you can still hang out and stuff like that which is really nice that after he left the company he still was appearing on stuff like up up down down and yeah. still kind of talking to people and still you know, like Biggie was going to Brody's like, you know, little league games and stuff like that. And that's just fucking sweet, you know? Yeah. It's really cool. So he leaves the company, finally. And he, you know, it, it's a fortunate thing for him because there is another company now, AEW, All Elite Wrestling. And his plan is that he's going to be debuting. And he's going to be debuting in his hometown, Rochester, New York. I shit you not, the week he was meant to debut, I've completely forgotten it's been a year now or whatever, but the week he debuted was the first week of the lockdown. Right, yeah. So that was the first week with no fans. Yeah. He, f- he gets his big moment and it's in front of no one. It's not in the hometown. And like, that's tough. Yeah. You know, because I'm really glad that he got to go and have his main event status and all that. And like the thing as well where people were 
already like so worried about him because he was going to be brought in as the exalted one for the Dark Order. And I don't know if you remember when it first started, people did not like the Dark Order. No, because there wasn't really much to it. Other than, what if men were a chair? (laughs) (laughs) So he's brought in, he's going to be the leader of this group of misfits, for lack of a better term, who everyone thinks is objectively the worst thing in wrestling at the moment. And he gets to debut in front of no one. And he's Mr. Brody Lee now. He's doing a new character. Do you think he's grinded an axe at Vince McMahon with this character? What did you think of Mr. Brody Lee, the man who eats steaks and doesn't like if you sneeze and swears liberally? I don't know. I genuinely don't. I don't know. I, I'm just going to take it for granted that it was a, a rip of Vince. I mean, obviously it is a bit, right? I mean, yeah. a bit, sure. But... I don't know. To me, it's not a true rip on Vince unless you're doing the voice. And of course, you can't do the voice. So it's not Vince. It's his own character. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure there definitely are similarities. But then there's similarities between Vince and any old, powerful white man who's grumpy and treats his employees like shit. Like, it's kind of a trope. He he was saying like it, you know it, in in interviews uh, he had said that it wasn't necessarily yeah just about Vince it was about like billionaires yeah you know how they expect the world to kind of revolve around them that attitude of having so much power and money and influence that you get your way always that that whole segment of him eating the steak this fucking horrible looking thing and someone tries to have a bite and he's like what the fuck are you doing like flipping over like he scared me as this character like it delighted me obviously that he was doing this new thing but um yeah it, it definitely it, it made my hair stand up on end a little mm. bit this kind of because we've all had a horrible fucking boss yes and the thing which I guess which I really enjoyed was that it wasn't just a scary gimmick or whatever on being the elite it then became a chance for him to exercise some of the comedy chops and we watched a lot of the stuff with the dark order you know john silver alex reynolds evil uno Stu grayson and all that with mr Brody lee um were there any highlights for you that stood out and i know you've called being the elite generously an a-level production before (laughs) it's really hard for me to watch any segments from being the elite without just criticizing it like um, i think even with the bits we were watching for this i was like it's really good but it could have been so much better if we just changed this it's like improv though isn't it like i just want to give them improv classes like there's a reason why when you go to like a drama performance you don't watch people who've never done improv before just suddenly start doing improv with their original characters and all their friends i that's true and i think like what what it is though i guess is him helping out some of these guys who didn't have much in the way of a character but oh, maybe yeah. you know ha- like john silver is someone who i think you and i are, are a big fan of yeah i know? love him i mean hey any, any uh tim and eric fan in, in wrestling who who i found out recently was literally in a tag team called the beaver boys at one point beaver boys beaver boys <laughs> i hope they've stuffed their opponents with shrimp and white wine as a, as a finishing <laughs> like you know maneuver That's how they celebrate and then they get really sick <laughs> <laughs> but um it was very obvious when you're watching those segments on being the elite that like John Silver, there was a little kind of a special relationship there almost. And it was mm. almost like he was trying to, to mentor him. Yes. You know, like John Silver <laughs> kept corpsing and like he laughing when he wasn't supposed to. And then Brody Lee, he like obviously has a background or at least an enthusiasm in like comedy improv. Cause he, yeah. he understood exactly when not to laugh, when not to smile, when to, 
like the little thing about John Silver starts to laugh and he tries to cover it up by like looking down and then Are you fucking crying? Are you crying? You fucking you serious? Like, that was something I was taught to do in drama. That's amazing. Which is like when someone laughs, you can pretend that they're crying and it's kind of convincing. Brilliant. And it's like just a little technique that like you either pick up from studying people obsessively or you have to be taught it. And it's like little things like that that make his performance actually really watchable like if it just been him and a couple of the other really good performers i think i would have loved being the elite it's just it's like all this hammy over the top acting yeah. from everyone else it's, it's like if watching he'd yeah. been the director like I, I want in an ideal world i would have wanted him to give classes to everyone on AEW, mm. being like this is how you stay in character this is how you develop a character this is how you don't laugh when you're supposed to be not laughing like he's so good and he brings out the best in other people but i just feel like oh it had so much more potential for the little time he was with them and seeing like what the dark order was and what it is now and the performers how they were perceived at the start of it and how they're kind of perceived now like yeah i mean i remember just thinking they're all just faceless goons and that was kind of half the point yeah but like the impact that he's left on all of them is is it can't be understated like i think he's just literally given them confidence i felt yeah. like you know the fact that this big larger than life you know literally and physically man was in there this star was in their lives or whatever and he you know he ran with it you know and he wasn't as far as as Brody lee was concerned he wasn't doing a little being the elite comedy skid everything fucking deadly serious which made it so funny so fucking funny because it wouldn't have been funny if he hadn't taken it seriously you needed someone like him to take it seriously so that you could pity the rest of the Dark Order, so they yeah. could seem like lovable goons instead of, you know, annoying, obnoxious, drama kids. I just love how excited he is at the prospect of anyone joining the Dark Order. He's like, you fucking kidding me? Cowboy shit. Cowboy whiskey? Horses? horses. <laughs> Do you like horses? <laughs> the man just wants a cowboy in his life. I understand it. We all just want a cowboy in our lives. There was one where, because they all have Twitch channels. Where he came in on like Evil Uno doing his Twitch stream and like his little headset is like, I told you, no third party affiliates. What the fuck have I told you? <laughs> like the Dark Order is this like twisted reflection of WWE. So funny. Fucking good, like so fucking good. There's a thing recently like AW Dark Elevation where they have not the big show Paul White interview people and talk about kind of you know their story and their career. And John Silver was on that and he had like you know he's like he feels like he holds his, his career currently and it's his standing to to like the the, the time he got to spend with I them think, yeah I, mean, I don't want to say like entirely owes everything but like he owes how far he's come he, to 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 brody like he helped him show him what was already there i think you yeah know? and that that you can like I teach mean, charisma like you even know little things as well like you told me how he bought him new ring gear because he yeah. didn't have anything appropriate to wear he like, gave that jacket that he wears yeah. that nice snazzy jacket that was like three thousand dollars i hate the jacket it's disgusting but <laughs> i'm really like in awe that like he gets it he understands the business he understands character work and he understands that there's more to character work than just wrestling well like it's, yeah. it's, it's to do with how you carry yourself as a as a character how what you wear he he even i find it even more about this thing only did he buy him you know your ring jacket and gear and stuff like that but he bought him a special costume for like they have been chalk talking about skits they wanted to do and being the elite with the dark order and there was some idea he had where like he was going to have like a little mini version of his of brody's ring gear and he, he had it made kind of and the skit never even got filmed it was just like oh we'll, we'll get it made for you like he had a, more stuff made just for like an idea that they had 
there is a podcast producer he does like um renee young's podcast and anderson gallows he produces their podcast as well and he was struggling with bills he needed new equipment he just bought him new equipment wow all new mics and everything because he knew that helping this guy would help all these other podcasts yeah. which in turn will help all these other wrestlers well that's that's really loving the business like yes. really understanding and loving the business like understanding just how important every little aspect is yeah you, you support those people you, you're it's helping part of the ecosystem of wrestling it is you know i think we very rarely get to talk about someone who's kind of giving back like that we always you know i think terry funk was a great episode where we're like here's someone who kind of broke that cycle of the older wrestlers not giving back this guy was only 39 like he wasn't a crusty old vet on his way no. out he was reaching the the pinnacle of his career if yeah. anything he had, he had yet to even peak and he's doing stuff like that and like even like stories um dax harwood who was uh scott dawson in the revival uh i didn't realize this him and his wife had suffered a miscarriage oh. uh earlier in the year and one of the few people that he told about it was was hubers because you know John John Huber, Brody Lee, and his family would often be at the show, and everyone knew that he was a family man. They kind of all hung out together, and he said, like he, him and his wife sent care packages. They called, mm. they checked in, yeah. they were just like there, and they weren't like you know buddy buddy tight road brothers forever for life. It was just that he knew that there was someone in this. Hey, let's actually try and make wrestling a family, and not just yeah. fucking talk about it. Yeah, you know, the, you think he's. He's left a very strong example in that respect, yeah, I think. Yeah, definitely. You know? But he was very, you know, even with no audience, with no crowd, this COVID era, which we'll look back on, I think, with very curious eyes in the future of what happened during these kind of, these past 12 months, he got to be that main eventer. He got to wrestle John Moxley in the main event of a pay-per-view, coming a long way from wrestling him as a young boy in, in Dragon Gate. And I was trying to think, like, yeah, we'll just kind of pick a match to, to finish off on. So I just kind of picked one, which I thought would be a fun one for us to watch, because he had just squashed your least favourite wrestler, Cody Rhodes, a week or two beforehand in no less than three minutes. So we did an episode on very recently, Dustin Rhodes. So here we are. It's Mr. Brody Lee versus Dustin Rhodes. It's funny, actually, as well, because now we get to this point, I'm realising that they actually are very similar to each other, Brody Lee and Dustin Rhodes. Oh yeah, in what way would you say? Just in that they're both very kind and appreciative of the the broader elements of the wrestling industry. Both men who've been probably hampered by the bad side of wrestling, yeah, both... but have not been made bitter by it. They yeah. try to make it better. Two guys who each of them could have easily had a singles run, very successful singles run if they'd been pushed mm. in the right way. Two people who clearly understood their own gimmick, even if other people didn't understand them. Yeah. Like two people who took influences from outside of wrestling. Yeah. Like not just, yeah. oh, this is the wrestling industry, so we just do wrestling here. Like they, they actually bothered to learn other skills and other elements to make their performance better. Like, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of similarities. Quite a lot of similarities, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're even similarly shaped. Yeah, long limbed. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you what, seeing Brody Lee here. Man, he, he an upper body business it certainly was. He's looking fucking hench here, yeah, for lack of a better hench. term. I'm sorry, I hate his ring gear. I have to say, I hate I it. I know you do. So much. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. Why, if he's supposed to be like Vince McMahon, why is he wearing like the Miz's coat? Because <laughs> he's the exalted one. <laughs> I, I was chatting to you and I think we arrived at the happy middle ground, which could give a nod to the old gimmick, but also fit with this one which is you wear the suit pants and the vest yeah it's, it's very clean and meticulous like you know he's he's 
He's the kind of... Oh, no, I want the dirty vest oh, you want the dirty vest. But clean and ironed pants <laughs> with a nice belt. So it's kind of like secretly he's really dirty and smelly, but he looks smart when you don't see him, like, undressed. Yeah. I love bringing John Silver out with him. And I love that John Silver holds the belt for him. Yeah. Like, it's... it's The, the size differential, it absolutely... It works so fucking well. I love it. <laughs> and there's kind of a corner of his eye that John Silver looks like he's about to get hit with a rolled up amount of paper at any point in yeah. this match. It's very, very good. We have Justin being introduced as the grandson of a plumber, which you took great umbrage with. I just think if we can go to grandsons, like, well, we could... We could talk about that infinitely, couldn't we? Like, yeah. what what was Brody Lee's grandfather then? Well, his his father wasn't someone who went on claiming that he was the son of something, I guess. Yeah, but like, <laughs> just when does that end? Like, if Dustin has kids who become wrestlers, are they the great grandchildren of a plumber? I I think we could get into some pretty. I mean, there's no way there's no way in hell that Cody Rhodes ain't putting his that kid is definitely going to be a wrestler. Hundred years from now, we are descended from the great legendary plumber <laughs> Mario. <laughs> Someone has to be out there as a historian to make sure that that terrible thing never comes to pass. I love love love. There's something that Brody Lee does in this match that is so fucking mean. I was literally in the middle of Terry TV like, here's why I love Dustin Rhodes' face paint and why it's so great. And he just fucking rubs the whole thing. You fucking monster. Dick. Love it. That's so effectively, like, it is such a shame we don't get a crowd here. Like, we get the uh, staff, whatever you call them. The the wrestlers who were there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's obviously better to have them than nothing, but I would have loved to have seen him get a chance to do this proper nasty heel character in front of a crowd. (sighs) Because like yeah. you just know, like he was obviously having so much fun with it anyway. Yeah, like and, and like, how many times have we said like on on recent you know on AEW and WWE reviews on the Patreon page where we're like, oh man, you know, I think you know we were talking about Apollo Cruz and we saw it in front of no one, we're like oh once we get this in front of a crowd it's yeah. gonna be great. And like when you strike gold in the pandemic, there's this kind of great excitement because once you see it in front of a crowd, it's gonna be so much more than that. Isn't just it? the fact that like it is a it's a mockery of Vince and wrestling fans hate Vince and they love AEW. So yeah. like I just think there'd have been an extra element of like spiteful glee that would have been in the crowd's energy. Yeah, and <laughs> honestly, if you're gonna take shots at WWE, having a performer who can work in some subtleties like Brody yeah. Lee. I much rather that than like you know the young books thumbing through the observer going what's in the news this week guys. <laughs> so <laughs> we have him working over Dustin, popping them muscle poses randomly, an ode to Dana Brooke perhaps. Fantastic, love it. But I think yeah, this extended to you were you were watching this thing before we started. Tyler Breeze was doing kind of like a, a video game streaming, yeah, thing, and they were like giving away an Xbox, <laughs> which he won in a tournament, and then he keep calling back in, and be like, give me my fucking Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> Give the man his Xbox, you'll get bopped with papers otherwise. I like to imagine that then if he had the Xbox, he just he plays it all himself while the Dark Order get to watch. If they're if they've been good. And then every time he dies, he like hits them with papers. Like, yeah. Ah, it's just your fault. He's there like playing as Adam Page, like he's like, Shut up! <laughs> oh boy shit. <laughs> John Silver beefs his interference, and then we get the big old pile driver from Dustin Rhodes. The straps come down, revealing the fucking huge chest and biceps of Brody Lee. This man is looking fucking huge. And I like that he's got... You didn't like the, the hair. I love that the hair is in that neat ponytail. I just... I, it's, it's a personal thing. I don't like small hair. 
small hair. I think if you don't, if you have small hair, you may as well have no hair at all. I don't like small hair. I like big hair. <laughs> well, he's still got big beard. The beard is so big. I know, but it's unbalanced then. Like, if you're going to have a big beard and small hair, just shave it off. Go that, bald. That big beard, though, which is so large that we get the slobber of the night located <laughs> within that beard. It's quite impressive. He's saving it for later. The two of them are in there button heads now running their heads against each other this proper fucking nasty old school shit I absolutely love it I love as well after the headbutts that Brody's has got like all this face paint smeared across his fucking head it's incredible we get two sick boots the discus lariat Brody Lee picks up the win as JL refers to him as old psycho eyes nice Nicely tasteless there, JR. Think, he, he just loves that, doesn't he? I think we'll settle on Wild Eyes. Yeah, I Wild think, Eyes like. is a bit a bit nicer. A bit nicer. Wild Eyes implies that there's some cowboy shit going on there as well, like a stallion running. <laughs> He's into wild the about horses, Kevin. <laughs> so, yes, Brody Lee there in an appearance on Dynamite. One of his last appearances, really, I think his last actual appearance on the show was when he wrestled a very physical dog collar match against Cody Rhodes. Genuinely, I've not actually watched that match yet. It's supposed to be real scary. It's it's hard hitting. It's it's it harkens back to if you remember way back when Roddy Piper I mean, yeah, did that dog collar match it's we hard talked about. To forget. I mean, they come with a bit of a reputation. Those types of matches. And I'm just you know, if anything, if this proves that maybe the episode was done too early, I wasn't at a point where I could watch that particular type of match and then be like and that was his last match folks i yeah i've not yet i've not watched yet i've heard great things yeah it was kind of weird enough that they put that in the tribute package yeah because it it was a bit random like having these really nice photographs of like him with his friends and family and you know him wrestling and stuff and then him in this dog collar match and like everyone's bleeding and it's just a bit strange like i'm not saying like oh they shouldn't talk about it because obviously be proud of the last match you did obviously i'm sure sure he's proud of every match he did he was i mean i I know that like he had kind of with that match the the big kind of chat was well he's a main eventer now yeah he he can main event you know he's proven it like twice now in in this era when it's very difficult in 2020 particularly to prove that you're a main eventer because you've got you know that hampered audience that you, you don't have that proper audience i guess Joe, your star rating for this one then, please. I enjoyed this match. I didn't enjoy it as much as the others. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with, you know, either of these wrestlers or their performance. It's just I think there's the AEW style I'm just less I'm less fond of. There's less um story going into this. This than was I would a, like. Probably a smaller match, I guess, than than the yeah. other ones in some respect, yeah. So I, I gave it three stars, but it's a solid three stars. And I also enjoyed the little dick kick that he gave. <laughs> oh afterwards. yeah, at the end he just like he's like bring him up and kicked him in the dick, yeah, right? That's it's what you get for winning. So fucking horrible, like Nasty oh man. my god. Yeah, you win, you get the right to kick someone in the dick, I guess. They should like make that a rule. <laughs> the winner gets dick kicks, like <laughs> The winner kicks the dick. <laughs> the loser takes his licks. <laughs> We've got a whole Abba tribute act coming, folks, don't worry. <laughs> so it was after that dog collar match then where it was just announced that, you know, he's taking a little bit of time off. And because the match had been so physical and he had had a lot of like really like hard hitting matches. I know the one with Moxley, they went through the fucking stage. Like it was really like he was really hitting it hard and just trying to do these kind of big, big bumps, big, big spots and matches to be kind of getting across that he was at the next level now. So when it was said that he was taking time off, it was like, well, yeah, obviously, you know, Cody took time off after he had that big beat down. So he had a big beat down. He's going to take a bit of time off. And then before you know it, kind of a month or two has gone by. 
and I think there was someone asked about him on an AEW conference call, like, "Hey, what's up? Is he is he injured or anything like that?" And they're like, "Oh, I think he's just taking time off to deal with some kind of nagging injuries." Now, kind of what we didn't know at this point was that he had had already kind of a, a few a few issues, and this time off, he was doing a peloton exercise on the bike. And he had to stop it because he just couldn't catch his breath. He, you know, he lost his his breath. He got out of breath. And he couldn't catch it afterwards. That's so scary. Honestly, one of the scariest things uh, since since that happened. Honestly, every time I lose my breath when I exercise, I do get a little bit of like a oh Jesus, like come back breath, please. You know, it's it is so scary. It makes you really appreciate the ability to regain to your breath. Yeah, I mean, one of my best friends, Noel, back in university, who I did radio with, he was my absolute best pal back then, and. He had cystic fibrosis, so one having a shortness of breath and the frustration that comes with it, and the scariness, the, the fear that comes with it, yeah. like you know, it's 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 a horrible thing because yeah. you, know, you can't breathe, you can't do anything, you know, it, it it's it's hard. Mm. So he, you know, during the COVID era, obviously everyone assumes problems with lungs. It's COVID, right? Mm. He takes a test, comes back negative. Okay, it's not that then. What is it? And you know, he's he's going to the hospital. He's having tests. He got tested again and again and again and again for what COVID? For sorry. COVID, like they kept testing him. I think. So you why know, did they keep testing him for COVID? Just they were convinced it was the that. false negatives. I think we talked about this a lot. You know, earlier in the pandemic, where you know it happened in NXT a lot, where people were getting these false positives, mm. people were getting false negatives. People like Amber happened to Kayla Braxton. She had it and got a test saying she didn't have it. Oh. And then she got a test later on when she didn't have it saying she had it. Oh God. So you know, there's a lot of tests on the market, particularly in America as well. There's like a lack of standardization. So any doctor, when it's going from the local hospital to the other hospital, they're going, well, it's obviously the specialist is going to say they just haven't done the right test. We'll test them again. Gets to the point where he's going to the Mayo Clinic because the people in AEW are like, well, look, we have access to the best best doctors in the fucking whole world, essentially. Is that what the Mayo Clinic is? The Mayo is? Clinic is like the the hospital in, in, in the United States of America. Wow, it's like okay. the absolute, like, the kind of equivalent of the, that hospital in Cambridge where they do all, you know, all the research is done there. Mm. Top, you know, if you're a top athlete and you need surgery, you go to the Mayo Clinic. Like, it's it's what happens. So he's there in intensive care. They're doing these, like, deep washes of his lungs inside oh. just to try and see. Like, because sometimes the virus can kind of, like, hide in there because it's already taken hold. Yeah, it hides in, like, dark, moist places. It sounds yeah. like a mold. But... Yeah, it's 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 tough. And, like, all this time, like, I, I remember on that podcast episode, his wife was like, they were literally just like, just fucking come back positive because at least then we know what yeah. he has. I imagine like for her sake, she, she must have just gotten driven sick of like the people going, yeah, but it's COVID, isn't it? It's going, well, well we don't know. We want it to be COVID, but it, they say no. That's why they kept it quiet was because they didn't want this speculation. speculation yeah. They didn't want there to be pictures of him because he was looking quite weak. He lost I'm a sure, lot of, yeah. of weight. He was in intensive care. They didn't want people to see it. And you can imagine as well, it's like two fucking young kids as well. Yeah. Brody Jr., who's the biggest, you know, the only thing he loves more than wrestling is his dad, the fucking famous, amazing wrestler. Yeah. He's currently in this position where no one seems to be able to figure out what's wrong with him. Now, there's lots of fucking people who are dwelling on the ultimate cause and, you know, wrestling fans are having this instance several times over. Certain wrestling fans, I should say, have shown themselves to be just like so out of touch with like, I don't know, the general polite rules you think society should play behind, you know, the the attacks on his widow for hiding the truth, brother, and the attacks on the widow for how dare you pimp your kid out. It just 
let it fucking go. And I'll say there's a lot of judging, isn't there, from yeah. people like judging people's parenting techniques, for, like, like none of their business. You know, yeah, I know, right? It's it's just absolute. And the the strength of this woman, like I'm an absolute fucking all of it. Let's mm. just say. But like, long story short, what they believed they thought happened in the end was he had maybe suffered some sort of an infection, possibly pneumonia, they don't really know, and that what had happened was that the scarring had already taken effect in his lungs, so that by the point then where he was in the Mayo Clinic, he, he couldn't respond to treatment. Yeah. And the question was then just a question of when he'd be moved into hospice care, end-of-life care and all that. And you can imagine what it's like as well, if someone's in a hospital in intensive care, and you can only have one person in at a time because it's COVID. Yeah. And, you know, they to see him, they had to you know head to toe in the the full PPE gear, gowns, visors, hoods, all that jazz. It, I can only imagine what it was like for those kids. How scary and strange and alien all of this must have felt. Yeah. And he was moved into end of life care, and at least then you know he was able to have more more people visit him and stuff like that. Which I guess was you know people everyone got to say their goodbye goodbyes at least. Mm. He passed away on December 26th. You know, oh, she got the call God. on, like, literally on Christmas Eve, it was, that, you know, it was likely that he was going to pass soon. So, you know, they sent the kids away to, to be with the, the grandparents or, or I think it was, you know, extended family or whatever. And mm. she went to be with him on the day. And because Cody was always, like, his super fave and Big E was also his super fave, Amanda reached out to them both and said, look, no pressure whatsoever. You don't have to do this. But I would like or I would appreciate if you can come and talk to him about what's happened and, you know, just help help him understand this a little bit more because yeah. he needs more people to explain this to him than just me. Yeah, because eight years old, I mean, that's a... I mean, he wouldn't have been eight. He'd been seven at that point, wouldn't he? Yeah. You know, that's like literally it's the worst age for something like that to, to lose a parent. Like, it's so hard. I know we, we have fun kind of ragging on Cody and stuff like that, but like I heard, you know, he was in Atlanta and he, he drove from all from Atlanta all the way down to like Florida. He drove like eight hours straight just so he could be there like straight away, dropped everything so he could be there. And like Big E, not even with the company, you know, and he's there as well. And like the, 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 the fact that wrestlers and the family of wrestling as we now know it exists was able to actually come together mm. and help this fucking kid through it. And, and you know as well like, as strong as, as Amanda has been and all that the fact that they were there for her as well like, yeah because that's it she would have needed help too she just lost her best friend and yeah, her husband world on her fucking shoulders yeah you know being pelted can't do out. this by yourself no you absolutely can't and it absolutely was the most perfect beautiful tribute ever that tribute they did that celebration of, of, of Brody Lee's life as they call it and I think them incorporating you know negative one into it was so fucking sweet i think the moment that i think it will it literally fucking will make me cry if i think about it too clearly but the moment where eric Rowan runs out in the end oh yeah fucking hell and excalibur's like that's big red and chris jericho's like i don't care about copyright that's eric Rowan. that's eric Rowan. <laughs> look eric Rowan from wwe oh. the former luke harper's tag partner and just it was um yeah it it was it was very sweet that old 55 by tom waits you know, it was it was the most perfect tribute that you could pay to him. He was, like Cody said, he was a beautiful man and he touched a lot of people. And as a fan, he's touched me. And I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fucking sorry. No, it's okay. Um, he's touched me as a fan and he, countless others. And 
I started off doing the research for this and it was really sad. I put on that New Day podcast and you came down in the morning and I looked like I'd had a fucking full day at work because I yeah. was exhausted and my eyes were fucking red and I was bawling my eyes out. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this episode and make it all the way through. But like the constant stories, there's been so many fans and wrestlers alike. Like I've barely covered the tip of the iceberg of the nice things that people have had to say. It's like, I don't didn't think you could have a fishing send off for someone whose life was taken away so so tragically and so young, but they they did. It was fucking beautiful and it was perfect. And for something that when it happened, because it happened during Christmas time, I just my mind I don't think it absorbed it at all, mm. you know. And that tribute helped. It really fucking did, and it obviously helped the family as well, which I think is the most important thing. Yeah. And seeing that fucking kid having the time of his life on wrestling is. Is so fucking sweet. And you know what? He's his father's son as well because he's got the acting down. <laughs> which is like all I care about. It's literally all I care about. But like he's a physical actor. Yeah. He, that's he, obviously someone taught him, you're wearing a mask. You have to act with your body. Yeah, and he did it. He's it's so great. good. He's so naturally good at it. And you know, they're having the birthday party for him. And like John Silver's like, it's somebody's birthday. <laughs> they're all so fucking happy. And you look at the people there. You've got like fucking John Silver and Cole Cabana. You've got this fucking great group of people there. And I just love... I just love that Dark Order story now. It just it it feel, it's such a pure fucking fills me full of, of love every time I see it. It's it's such a pure thing in wrestling right now. I'm so glad that they continued with it as well because like I think that would have been like one of the saddest things of all to just like dissemble it as a group because mm. the leader had died like too soon. Yeah. Because like that that I think is undoing the legacy of his work because like that, you know, him being the exalted one was his push. That was yeah. him being the top guy that was like his his time in the limelight and for them to just go nah now he's dead let's let's just not bother with it because it would be weird like the fact that instead they were like no we actually can continue this and we can continue it in respect to him and respecting his legacy yeah and they've actually like i hate to say like oh he'd have been so you know happy with how it's gone but like genuinely he would be like he took he he took the dark order and made them what they were yeah he made them entertaining and funny and wholesome and fun for kids yeah and like after he died it's become even more like that yeah it's, Sorry, it's i'm crying oh as well. honey it's okay it's okay i mean you know what like if you're a wrestling fan who's like you know just hold the fucking phone before you're about to tweet your your outrage that a kid is we shave off fucking two or three minutes for them to feel like they're on top of the world and that you know maybe they've they're not going through what has to be one of the fucking hardest fucking things in the world to go through during the shittest time in like in yeah. recent modern times at least he gets to feel close to his dad yeah it's fucking i i absolutely i fucking love it i love i love that like tay conti and anna jay are just like I don't know, it feels like he's got this actual like extended family now. Yeah, and he gets to like all the stuff he gets to do with them. I'm sorry if some people think it's cringe, but like think of all the stories he gets to hear about his dad. <laughs> I know, from, right? From like people who've worked with him for years, people who've known his dad since he was like in his twenties. Like there are people on AEW who he would have wrestled with back way back when in Chicago. Yeah, they and they, stuff. they will like, have he'll have infinite stories and of stories about what a man, what a great man his father was. And so in that respect, like he gets to live on through the legacy of his storyline and through the legacy of, of his son. Who, yeah. You know, if, if Brody Lee Jr. doesn't want to continue doing it, he doesn't have to. There's no pressure. The, I feel like they've, they've 
they've got enough momentum now where he could like go away and focus on his own life yeah. and they could continue off without him if that's what they decided to do. Yeah. But like either way, it's not like there's an absence of uh, of a Brody Lee now. Yeah. Like one was taken away, we were given another one. Yeah. And now the Dark Order has changed. It's it's you know, it's again about like leaving wrestling like, you know, a better place than you found it. Yeah. And I think you know, I, I I think back on like episodes where people have been taken tragically young. And a lot of people I think have, you know, we're talking about kind of comparisons that were inevitably going to be made with like Owen Hart simply because Owen was a kind guy and everyone had a nice story about him. And he loved his family. And he loved his family. More than he loved wrestling. Yeah, and he was, ta- <laughs> and he was taken too young. But like the similarities kind of really are, are, are superficial in some respects because Owen was, was someone who... You know, after his passing, it broke up a broken family even more. And it, it's, you know, the Huber family seems like so well supported and there's so much love there right now. It it, it feels like, wow, wrestling can actually do this. It can, it can be that. And as well, I think like the similarity ends because like Owen, he didn't love wrestling the way Brody Lee did. He wanted to be. He wanted to be out. Yeah, he didn't want to stay there. No. Whereas Brody, he, yeah, he wanted to retire when he's younger, but only to like spend more time with his family, not because like he was sick of the business. Yeah. He loved the business. Yeah. He obviously loved the business because of the all the impact he made on every element that he was involved in, everything he touched on, he improved. Yeah, it's it's absolutely like, it is a tragedy, Bush. It is a tragedy that has been miraculously outweighed by the outpouring of just pure love and i think that's that's i know it's a bit, it would be lame thing to say or whatever but like honestly like there is sadness here obviously that that can't be that's undeniable but there was i i know so much more about this this man now you know i, I feel like there were all these stories that people were just kind of waiting to tell that's the thing because like when he died you were like oh should we do an episode on him like straight away and i said no because I thought it was too soon. Mm. And I'm really glad that we decided not to do one straight away because I think, you know, I think I was right. I think we were right in that his story hadn't been told yet. You never want to do these episodes too soon. Yeah. And part of his story is the way he's touched on so many different people's lives. And we wouldn't have heard about that until he died. And Mm. until everyone then felt able to come forwards and say, yeah, actually I had this amazing, beautiful moment with him and, he, he did this for me and that for me. And like, sometimes it takes a bit of time for those memories to emerge. Yeah. And I appreciate that WWE did more than just the standard tribute graphic. They gave a platform for their performance to talk about yeah. it. You know, on Raw Talk, on the, the podcasts that have been released and the tributes that people are doing. You know, it, it's I, like so many little things. Like, you know, Xavier Woods has incorporated all these little mannerisms into his routine. Natalia, who, it's really funny, she's always did the spinning clothesline and apparently Brody used to always give her shit saying she'd stolen his move even though he did it years after her <laughs> but she's like she's doing the move like you know she's named it like the Brody Lee Lariat mm. in, in his tribute and all that so like yeah it's it's nice as well and I think you know as I was saying earlier the great thing about the digital age or whatever you want to call it that we're living in is that there's no barriers now what own heart when his passing happened I felt like I'd gone crazy. Like he'd been erased from the history of yeah. wrestling. There was no way to find out about this guy I remembered who I really liked when I was a kid. And it was really just too complicated, the circumstances. It of his was. Death. It, it, and it, the it, fact that there was someone at fault. Yeah. And like, 
thank God that's not the case here. Like, yeah. it's tragically sad, but death happens. You know, appreciate your health if you have it. Yeah. You know, I think there's a, there's a lot to be learned here from this. And there's no shortage of joy and there's no shortage of things to find out by revisiting his tremendous body of work, which is, you know, between the network and YouTube and AEW's offerings, there's so much out there. You can, you know, even if you are a fan of his, and I've been really amazed by so many people who became big fans of his, just like there was someone who tweeted us, who were like, oh yeah, I only saw him as a bludgeon brother. I thought, this guy's pretty cool. Gotta, <laughs> you know, like at every step of his career, he garnered fans and all that. And yeah. he, hey, if you're a relatively new fan for, for Brody Lee, we've barely scratched the surface here. Go out, check it out. There's so much stuff out there. That's the thing. There's so much stuff. And you know what? I think there's going to be so much more stuff coming out about him. Yeah. Like really nice stuff, like nice stories. That we could probably even do a revisited episode Absolutely. on him in the future, and that wouldn't even be weird. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Well, ooh, <laughs> tears have subsided a little bit now, I think. Let's have a look at your tweets and your Facebook posts. First up from Museum Walker Ian. The AEW tribute show confirmed Brody was a wrestler's wrestler. As Luke Harper, he wasn't used to his full potential, and in AEW, he had an in-ring career of six months. But boy, how he made them count! God, so he's six months. Six months it felt like a year yeah. at least. And he legitimised the Dark Order in the process. What a man! Rest in peace. Got one here from Joshua Green over at facebook.com forward slash how to wrestling. I'm sure I bored one of my best friends to death singing Brody's praises back in the early Wyatt family days. I was just immediately hooked by his look and his presence alone. But then he also happened to be this fantastic wrestler. He managed to look like a monster, yet he could fly around the ring. I remember seeing him hit a standing hurricane rather for the first time. No. Yes, I forgot he did that. When did he do that? I think it was in his match with AJ. I'm pretty sure he busted oh out a Randy. God. Unreal. WWE's treatment of him was actually one of the reasons why I decided to quit watching their stuff altogether. I'm so grateful he had the run in AEW because he got to be the big star on the big stage before his unfortunate passing. It's amazing to have heard so much from the other wrestlers about how much of a great guy he was. That negative one of being an absolute treasure and his appearances have often been a highlight of AEW programming. Someone needs to whip up a negative one commentary compilation for us, please, if that's possible. I've literally never heard him speak. Yeah, apparently he's putting most of the commentators to shame in, in modern really? wrestling. So, uh, and finally, someone who can stand up to that bully Taz. <laughs> <laughs> Next up from 2X Foot Stomp. Best and most convincing big boot in the business. I always wondered what would have happened if he was the leader of the Wyatt family, as I think he'd have pulled off a cult leader slash whale on mercy slash Cape Fear gimmick much better. That's very funny because I think when the Dark Order, they were teasing there was going to be an exalted one for ages. People were you know, picking like Matt Hardy or Raven because they thought it was going to be this kind of cult thing. Yeah. And even when Brody people started figuring it might be him, they assumed it would be this kind of cult thing. But I like that he turned into kind of the corporate cult, almost, yes. or the cult of a corporation. Very <laughs> fucking good. Over here from Jacob Simmons, I first started watching wrestling during the back end of 2014 when Luke Harper was getting his singles push after breaking away from Bray. I was incredibly impressed by his work and always felt sad when the pushes kept getting stopped and started, which unfortunately was a trademark of his run in WWE. When he passed away, it felt like a piece of my initial wrestling fandom had died with him. It is a shame that his amazing wrestling career will be overshadowed by the tragic circumstance of his passing, but the outpouring of grief and admiration for Bodhi when he died was a truly special thing to witness. Clearly, an outstanding human being taken well before his time. I don't think I'll ever fully get over the death of Brody Lee, and he deserved to be remembered as one of wrestling's nicest guys. Not a lot of nice people in wrestling sometimes. It's not a label you can throw around quite easily. 
No, and certainly not ones that you can say with such confidence. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm so hesitant these days to call wrestlers nice. Yeah, I know what you mean. genuinely, I've not heard a single bad thing about him. Like, everything I've heard about him just shows that he really was a kind person. I like as well, because, you know, I think oftentimes in wrestling, you need someone like that to bring out kindness in others. Yeah. You know, because I think if everyone in wrestling thinks everyone's out to get your spot, everyone's out for each other. Yeah. Then it's going to be hostile, and you're going to have, like, people instead, you know... I saw in school all the time where you know, guys where everyone felt threatened by everyone. So instead of building each other up, we just kind of, you know, slag each other off and tear yeah. each other down. And-, and you know what? I think ultimately the way he was able to bring people together in the locker room shows, like it just demonstrates something that I don't think that we ever really got to see fully. Maybe a little bit when he was in AEW, but just how much of a natural leader he was. Yeah, that's true. Like that's yeah. kindness and being able to connect with so many different people is mm. like one of the most overlooked i think but most important facets of being a true leader and like just the way he was able to like bring all of these random people together who would have been like probably feuding against each other in real life otherwise yeah and just be like no we are a family yeah there's lessons to be learned not just for wrestlers but for like management and stuff like that from from the example that he says Finally now on Twitter from Joe Del Toro. The best compliment I can give him is he proved subtlety can exist, thrive, and be appreciated in wrestling. Fucking A. I'll never forget how much emotion he'd pack into every little expression, gesture, or inflection, all perfectly juxtaposed with the monstrous power in the ring. Oh man, I mean, all I can say to that is yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. I mean... We got a lot of tweets for this one and we didn't just want to be sit here at the end just kind of saying kind of the same thing over and over again. But I would say, you know, if you, you want to add in your two cents or, you know, add to the conversation, please use the hashtag still how to John Huber. Let us know your thoughts on the Twitter, on the socials. Of course, we'll always love to to hear them. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of talk here about examples being said and positive impact and all that. I think a, a revisit episode down the line would be, be more than a, more than fitting, I think, for, yeah. for the career. Like, a, a, a career in some respects, which obviously is kind of shorter than it should be in a story that wasn't fully told, and yet it also feels like there is this kind of deep well <laughs> of of stories, of subtleties, as Joe said there, to, to kind of to figure out. So, yeah. Uh, our next episode is going to be a bit of a change of pace. We were trying to think of, like, what would be a nice kind of counterpoint to this if we're kind of, you know, talking on some maybe harder topics here today. We are going to instead set our sights very high and we're going to be looking at the career of recent Hall of Fame inductee and Rizless Skin Peddler, <laughs> Mr. He's a bad influence. <laughs> I'll hear nothing of it. Our next episode is going to be about the truly phenomenal, one of a kind, Rob Van Dam. Yes, this unfortunately missed the 420 deadline, but we will still be talking about the man who blazed a trail throughout ECW, WWE, TNA, and seems to be, by all accounts, living his best fucking life by his own terms. Hashtag goals, is that what the kids say? (laughs) I think so, yes. So, as someone who's very familiar with his time in ECW and WWE, I will, of course, be very, very interested to find out any information and stuff about his run recently in Impact Wrestling as well sidestepping any wrongings in the meantime we will of course be looking at rob van damme use the hashtag how to or vd our next episode which will be joining you very very shortly make sure you hit us up on the social channels there'll be a post on facebook and as well as that on twitter at how to wrestling do not forget to include the hashtag how to or vd we're after your thoughts memories matchups promos stories 
anything you got to do with Rob Van Dam, we're going to be looking at Mr. Five Star Frog Splash himself for our next episode. And Joe, I'm a little bit excited. Yeah. Yeah, I think you've seen some glimpses of RVD before. I have. I've loved what I've seen of Rob Van Dam. I loved his wrestling matches. Like, I love his style. He's really flip-de-doo. <laughs> he sure He's one is. of the original flip-de-doers. Yes. I love his confidence with which he talks about weed. <laughs> I love his attitude towards relationships. I believe he's in a triad or an open relationship of some sort. He just seems like a swell guy. He just like genuinely seems to be, as you say, living his best life. I mean, yeah, as someone who watched his career very closely and always thought he was very interesting, I somehow like turned my back for a few years and he somehow he seems to be even more yeah. interesting. <laughs> How dare the man? Let's find out in our next episode. Don't forget, you can check out any information on that and upcoming episodes, as well as recommended bonus viewing on all our previous episodes. HowToWrestling.com for any and all updates. And don't forget as well, upcoming episodes, we do have sponsorship slots available if you're looking to plug your podcast, your project, your YouTube series, your blog, your thing, whatever it may be, hit us up at howtowrestling at gmail.com, subject sponsorship for any and all details, and we'll help you get your thing in front of our many thousands of listeners. Well, uh, surprised you made that through without need for a cry break. I didn't think that You didn't w- even use any tissues. I went through tissues. Yeah, I was just in a constant state of welled up for the last third of that. I, I guess think you've got I a moustache, haven't you? That's where your your goo can can sit. Jesus. <laughs> I know that fucking delicious. To honour Brody Lee. <laughs> That's what he would have done. It's what he would have wanted to, yeah. Well, I'm going to go stick on Old 55, I think, one last time. And uh, yeah, uh, rest in peace, Brody Lee. Truly one of the all-time fucking greats, and it's been an absolute joy talking about him. And thank you, Joe, again, as always, for your compassion and your kindness. Because I feel, I know, I feel like since starting this podcast, I'm more equipped to deal with being a wrestling fan Mm. and being invested in these characters, but more importantly, be invested in them as as human beings um so yeah thank you and this has been this has been an interesting episode i hope you guys have enjoyed it and until next time we're gonna be looking at rvd it's a goodbye from me kevin and a goodbye from me joe and we'll see you next time on how to wrestling see ya